machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. All right, welcome back to the Comic Book Revolution podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rock, and by my side, my platonic life partner, Steven. How you doing, my friend? I am. Uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a decently warm day, and I'm not doing anything. So <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> well, Stephen, the last the last podcast episode we did were we reviewed comics. I, I did it solo, and I told yes, all did. the listeners that I was doing it solo because you, my friend, were at your beautiful ranch in Jackson Hole, <laughs> Wyoming, skiing and hunting elk. How was that? Um, that that totally sounds like something I would do. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, because my last trip that I took when I was in the Boy Scouts, we took a big, <laughs> massive three-week trip out west, yeah. and we stayed at a camp there, and it is beautiful. Just to, just to let the people out there know if they want to go traveling somewhere. Yes. Wyoming is very nice. It's like Montana, but there's no neo-Nazis there. Oh, wow. Improvement. So go to Wyoming. Very much so. All right. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same amount of no people. Nice. But. Right. No Nazis and no methods either. Oh, very important. I like that. So my chances of getting attacked much less in Wyoming than in Montana. Absolutely. Good. I don't want to show up with the wrong last name that I have, Stephen, and people go, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. Where are you from, boy? <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> That'd be pretty bad, yeah. Have a better, there's a better chance of being attacked by a buffalo than a neo-Nazi in Wyoming. So right. you were. I can handle good. buffalo attacks. I can handle that. <laughs> All right, before we get into this episode, as always, you can download and listen to the Comic Book Revolution podcast on podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon. Please make sure to go over to iTunes if you can and rate and review us with five stars. That would be the best. It helps people find the podcast. We also love to hear from everyone. You can also check us out at our main website, comicbookrevolution.com. There you'll find our reviews and features on the comic book and manga industry, as well as movies and streaming shows. You can check out us on Facebook. We have our Comic Book Revolution page there. You can follow us on Twitter at CB Revolution. And you can follow me out on Twitter at Rock2KsRevolution and on Instagram at Rock2KsRevolution. And Stephen, you... And you can follow me on Twitter at President Glover. Awesome, my friend. Well, Stephen, before we hit the comics for this episode, and the comics that we will be reviewing include all Marvel. And trust me, I, I did this in the last podcast. I did all Marvel. <laughs> and look, we're not we're not skewing DC comics. We are not shunning them. We are simply waiting for March to roll around. We're going to hit the new rebooted direction. For DC Comics, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like now was the right time to start doing it. I, I figured I kind of wanted right. to, to begin with the clean clean slate. Luckily, Stephen, <laughs> I guest uh, I guest hosted on Kevin's podcast. That of course I encourage everyone to check out as well. It's called the Backlog Journey. 
podcast, and it is you can check it out at comicrelation.com, and it's at every podcast service out there as well. Kevin does a great job. I was mm-hmm. on there with Kevin yesterday, and before we started recording the episode, he so kindly explained to me <laughs> future state and how the uh, Brazilian Wonder Girl is able to come over while other characters aren't, and he really did a great job explaining everything to me. I now finally understand it. Good job, Kevin. He dumbed it down so even my brain could handle it. <laughs> that's that's why that's why we hire him. That's right. <laughs> um, my point is, we're going to get DC. Don't worry, this is not going to be the Marvel Comics mm-hmm. only review show. Trust me, we're going to get plenty oh, of DC God. comics, no doubt. Because absolutely, because yeah, because I will not allow that. Right, exactly. <laughs> we we love DC comics way too much to do that. And uh, But on this episode, we are going to be focusing on Amazing Spider-Man number 60, Black Cat number 3, Maestro number 2, New Mutants number 16, Wolverine number 10, and X-Men number 18. Stephen, before mm-hmm. we hop to that, before we hop over to that, there are just a couple of news items that caught my attention in the past couple of days I just had to throw at you to get your reactions, okay? Of course, just like old times. Yeah, man, I love surprising. <laughs> I love this. I love surprising Stephen. So, Stephen... We got mm-hmm. some streaming news and some movie news, and I wanted to get your reaction. We've got some release dates from Disney. Okay. And I want to know, what are you excited about, and what do you think about this release pattern? First off, okay, we have March 19, 2021, mm-hmm. The Falcon and The Winter Soldier coming out. Are you excited for that mm-hmm. show or not? I'm not, it's not a priority right now. I may get to it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. March 26th, we have the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Kind of doing the Cobra Kai move right there at that show. Mm -hmm. Are you excited for that one? Isn't that the one where you said Amelia Estevez the bad guy? Yes. Or something? Yes. I don't know. That sounds too much like a Cobra Kai ripoff. I will wait to see what the reviews say. All right. Before I dive in there. All right. I love the Mighty Ducks and... Emilio Estevez being the bad guy, just it, it hits something wrong with me, you know? Right. It just it feels wrong. Okay. So right. we'll okay, but I but I am open to it. Perfect. I'm not I'm not counting it out. How about April 16, 2021, Big Shot comes out, starring the ultimate Disney fan and actor, John Stamos, as the coach for a well, he's a, he's ousted from the NCAA. Because of his bad temper, and now he has to take a job at an all-girls high school coaching basketball. He learned, Stephen, they require empathy and vulnerability. Foreign concepts to stoic and hothead coach Marvin Korn. Are you excited? Oh, well, I I know how it's going to go in the movie with John Stamos being in a coaching a a bunch of high school girls. I know how it would happen in real life, and (laughs) oh, oh, that's not good. (laughs) Okay. Um, but either way, I don't want to see it. <laughs> okay. All right. So on May the 4th. Who would, who would fire John Stamos? He's so charming. I guess it's, a, I it's mean, impossible. And that man, man. Is, that man is ridiculously good looking. He is ridiculously yeah, good looking and he doesn't age. It's, re- it's insane. He's aged better than uh, uh, Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Yeah, he has. Talking about Cobra Kai. I'm it's, like. It's, it's incredible. How? how? Well, but it's, I don't want to know. Involve some witchcraft. Ah, it's that it's that Mediterranean <laughs> blood. You're talking about Greek and Italian guys there. That Mediterranean blood, that, Stephen. That's true. There you go. That's Good true. diet. Good diet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> On May 4th, 2021, we get Star Wars The Bad Batch. Are you excited? 
I am more excited for that one. I don't know if it'll be one of my like first. It depends on how my my backlog of TV goes. Right, right. Um, but I am I am interested. I want to see what they do with it. All right. Sure. How about May fourteenth, twenty twenty one? High School Musical: The Musical: The Series, season two. Steven, it's got like three hyphens and five names. <laughs> Are you excited? I forgot that they did that first season. So I know. I think I, I think I'll pass. Good pass. <laughs> All right. How about? Can I tempt you on June eleventh, twenty twenty one? Loki. Mm. Tom Hiddleston. It depends. I like Tom Hiddleston, but eh, I'll give it a look. Why not? It's, you're right. It's Tom Hiddleston, and, and we all love Tom. Tom H, but Perfect. not Tom Holland, Tom H. Tom Hiddleston H. Yes. There you go. How about, Stephen? Too many Toms. There's way too many Toms. <laughs> How about on June 25th, 2021, we get the mysterious Benedict Society. It is takes place... At a boarding school known as the Institute, a group of orphans must foil a nefarious plot with global ramifications while creating a new sort of family along the way, based on a bestseller book by Trenton Lee Stewart. And it stars Tony Hale in the titular role and has an ensemble ensemble cast, including Christian Shaw, Ryan Hurst, and a whole bunch of other people. I don't know. Is this animated? No, live action. <laughs> okay. Not interested in this one either, huh? All right, fair enough. Moving on. I, I don't know. It just it seemed like a, I just started hearing these words, and I was like, ooh, yeah, The Umbrella Academy is on Netflix, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I had the same, I had the same thought. How about, okay, Stephen, <laughs> on July 2nd, 2021, we get Monsters at Work. It takes place the day after the Monsters, Inc. power plant started harvesting the laughter of children to fuel the city of Monstropolis. Ooh. Yeah. Have they gotten Mike and Sully back? It's, it, yeah, it looks like it. It says it introduces new monster characters alongside returning favorites, including Mike Wazowski, Disney legend Billy Crystal, yeah. and James P. Sully Sullivan, Disney legend John Goodman. I, I'm all, right, all over I this one, Steve. watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm all over this one, too. I am all they over. They sold me. How, <laughs> how about July 16, 2021? You get Turner and Hooch. Yes, Steven. It's coming back. Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's it's going to be a series, not a movie. Okay. Yep. So there you go. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know about that one, Stephen. Don't know about that one. Yeah. Can I tempt you with July 23rd, 2021, Chip and Dale Park Life? It's an animated series starring the oh. beloved Chip and Dale. I love Chip and that's Dale. Right. I love Chip and Dale, too. Um <laughs> Oh, that's tough to say no to. It is. Um, I will keep it on my radar, and I will, I will try to be objective and not a nostalgic fanboy about it. <laughs> uh, that's all that we've we've heard recently. But I do find it's interesting. Disney is smartly w- whether you're interested in the various things or not. I think sure Disney as being very intelligent on how to space out these releases of specific shows mm-hmm. in order to prevent churn on the Disney Plus yeah. streaming service. And it's intelligent because you have the MCU show Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's in March. That's going to mm-hmm. run for a little bit. And then it's going to probably end around May, right? And then, yeah. oh, wait, May, Star Wars The Bad Batch. Oh, well, I can't cancel yet. And that's going to probably run for May. And then June rolls around. Maybe I'll cancel now. Nope, because Loki's coming out. Oh, I can't cancel now. And then Monsters at Work in July. And you see how they're, they're doing a good job staggering. Their, and then 
What's going to happen in the fall? Mandalorian 3. So they're really, I think, very intelligent, Stephen, in how they're spacing out between MCU, Star Wars, MCU, Star Wars, these shows to prevent the churn. That's really intelligent. Yeah, I think so. Um, they finally have... They finally have the content to keep, you know, right to say, oh, well, we have something every every month or so, and most of it's series, which is good, right? Because right. um, that keeps people watching for longer than just a movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so good that I'm glad they finally uh, <laughs> they got over that, got that first going. year that what, where they didn't right, have anything. Yeah. They had the Mandalorian and then nothing <laughs> for like eight months, and that was tough. Yes, it was, but I mean, it wasn't tough for them. They made it. Well, true, yes. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, in movie news, got some news from DC. Stephen, mm-hmm. it looks like Blue Beetle is going to be the first Latino superhero lead movie mm-hmm. getting their own live-action film. According to The Wrap, you have Puerto Rican director Angel Manuel Soto will uh, bring... The Blue Beetle movie to life. The script will be by Gareth Dunnett Alcacer. What do you think, Stephen? I'm trying to see if I recognize that director's name. He directed Ooh, HBO God. Max's Charm City Kings. Hmm. So maybe he might be a new a new director. Yeah. Yeah, he's got quite a bit of uh, of stuff here, according to IMDb, but yes. I haven't seen any of it. I've heard of it. Right. So he's he's not a new person. Well, okay. Right. Well, that's a little more, uh, little more, you know, hopeful. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got uh, Angel Soto is a white Hispanic from Puerto Rico, and mm-hmm. writer Gareth Dunnett Alcacer is a white Hispanic from Mexico. So you do have mm-hmm. Latins at director and and and, and a writer spot, which is kind of cool for the yeah. Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'm keeping yeah. expectations. Low. We don't know. We don't know much else. We don't know what star's been attached to the show or any to the movie. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I've, I've yeah. never. I've never taken to the character in the comic books, but maybe they can win me over in a movie. Yes, it's happened before. So. <laughs> the other movie news, Stephen. At least for me. <laughs> right. The other movie news, Stephen, is that DC or Warner Brothers will do a mm-hmm. new Superman movie with J.J. Abrams producing. And Tana Hesse Coates writing it. That's all we know. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything else. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah. Uh, JJ's track record as a director is, I'm not gonna say it's awful, but it's not great as of late. Yes. Um, he's a he's a great producer though. Yes. So that's good. I am not a fan of Tana Hesse Coates's, I'll say, fiction work. Yes. Um, I think he's a, he's a great opinion columnist yes. and nonfiction writer. Even yes. if I don't agree with him, I like reading his stuff. Right. But um, I've does, never... He doesn't I've have a lot of fiction. Anything. Right. He, he's, <laughs> I wasn't, I've heard his Black Panther is good, but it takes a while. I was not going to sit and wait no. until it finally decided to get good. Yeah. I'm not really a fan of his Captain America either. No. You know, there's a lot of questions about... What they're going to do, is it going to be Henry Cavill? Is it going to be somebody else? Is it going to yeah. be actual Superman or an alternate Superman? Yeah. I don't know. It's tough to say at this point. I hope I hope that they really think about what they're going to do with this. I think the reaction to Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out next month on HBO Max is uh, going to determine probably what they do with Superman going forward. Because if, if people like it, 
or well enough people like it, right? Then I think they'll probably keep Cavill, but I don't know. Yeah, but very possible. So, very possible. Yeah, I, I like Abrams as a producer too. I think he'll be fine in that role. I think Coates as the screenplay writer is a horrible idea. I mean, honestly, his fiction resume consists of Black Panther, Captain America. Neither impressed me and a single book called The Water Dancer. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how that qualifies you to be a the screenplay writer for a franchise movie as important as Superman, and I don't know mm-hmm. if he, he is the right guy, even if he had a impressive history <laughs> of fiction works. I still don't know if he'd be the right guy yeah. to pair with. I mean, you can be a, a highly acclaimed writer and still not be a good pair for every franchise. I mean, I love David Lynch and I wouldn't want him to direct a Superman movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's a bizarre choice. And uh, that really concerns me that you're putting someone in there with such limited experience and limited production in writing fiction and zero experience in writing a movie on a Superman movie. I think that's a bad, that might blow up in your face. Yeah, Superman's not not a property for a first-time screenwriter to be doing. Nope. I don't I don't think nope. personally. Nope, not at all. All right. Well, we'll see we'll see as going forward. Steven, Netflix announced that they are developing an original anime series based on The Terminator. Yep. How about that? The That's show, right. The showrunner and executive producer is Matson Tomlin. His credits include Matt Reeves. Uh, he wrote the story for Matt Reeves' upcoming Batman. He did mm-hmm. Netflix's Project Power, Capcom's Mega Man movie. He is pairing up with Production IG, which is an awesome anime production studio known for things mm-hmm. like Ghost in the Shell, Q, and Psychopaths. I like the choice of Production IG. I love the Terminator, mm-hmm. even though the last movie absolutely sucked. I'm excited for this. This is exactly what the Terminator franchise needs to inject a little life into it because, frankly, it's kind of like a zombie at the moment. Yeah, I I actually read something the other day that was like the biggest problem with Terminator is that it is that it's too tied to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep, it's never going to grow. You know, I mean, I love Arnold. I mean, yes, we all do. He's yes. the only. And the last two movies, he was the only good thing about those movies. Agreed. Because I, I think he's still great as a Terminator. But, you know, we want the franchise to move on, to move forward, to do something different. And I think this is a good chance to really, you know, kind of break and do something something different. Agreed. Agreed. So, I hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right, Stephen. Also, mm-hmm. I had to include this because, as everybody knows, Steve and I are massive Godzilla fans. And we are super mm-hmm. excited for Godzilla versus Kong. Well, Steven, yes. <laughs> Legendary Comics has launched a whole bunch of Godzilla versus Kong books and graphic mm-hmm. novels. And this is so cool. I love to see this because it targets a wide range of, I guess, a wide range of potential readers, namely little kids. You got to get them hooked on Godzilla. Mm-hmm. You got to get them young, right? Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> so we get a Godzilla Dominion graphic novel. Mm-hmm. It's a prequel that tells the story that picks up after Godzilla King of Monsters. Really excited for this one. You then get Kingdom Kong, which is a sequel to the graphic novel Skull Island Birth of Kong and a prelude to the film mm-hmm. Godzilla vs. Kong. 
I'm excited for that. That sounds pretty cool. And then for the kids, I think this is really cool. And Steven, if my two boys were little, I would have absolutely bought these books for them if they were still little kids. Mm-hmm. One is Kong and Me. <laughs> it's a children's book, Steven, that is centered around Kong and a new best friend spending a day on Skull Island. That's awesome. Aww. I love it. And the other one is Godzilla versus Kong. Sometimes friends fight, but they always make up. That is a great kids book, Steven. That is awesome. I love it. I love it. I just I love seeing the Godzilla and King Kong franchises doing children's books. It's something that would have been unheard of back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it's just yep. a great idea to get the franchises <laughs> out there. Don't you think? Oh yeah, of course. You got to got to expand the expand the reach somehow. Yep. So and we also get MonsterVerse Titan Thology, Volume 1, which includes previously released graphic novels Skull Island, The Birth of Kong from 2017, and Godzilla Aftershock from 2019. That's a good collection, Stephen. Definitely mm-hmm. recommend getting that. And last but not least, Stephen, you get Godzilla vs. Kong, One Will Fall, The Art of the Ultimate Battle Royal, and it looks like a sweet behind-the-scenes book that has all sorts of concept art and pre-production materials and on-set photography. That looks like a really fun book to get. Mm-hmm. I love, I love big, you know, coffee table books like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's great. Isn't it great to see lots of Kong and Godzilla stuff like that? That is awesome. I really hope it takes off. Fingers crossed, Stephen. Yeah, I hope, I hope so too. <laughs> and last but not least, I threw this in. This is just an odd ball. We both love video games, and we try to throw video games in here whenever we can. And this just caught my mm-hmm. eye, Stephen, because this is an issue that comes up in video games time and time and time again. And sad to mm-hmm. say, us video game fans have no friends in the Republican or Democrat Party when it comes to this issue. <laughs> Censorship comes yeah. in all forms. Make no mistake, we had to survive California trying to, they passed a law banning the sale of violent video games to minors back in 2011, back in, before Mm -hmm. 2011, and it got struck down by the Supreme Court in 2011. Of course, yeah. And that was, that was a a bill written and backed by the Democrats in California, so don't trust anybody when it comes to your video games. Can I tell a story about that, about that case? Because I was just very struck by the end, because I read it. I followed up on it like yeah. as it went on. I was reading, and when it was at the Supreme Court, <laughs> they had in order to determine their ruling. Right. The nine justices of the Supreme Court at the time <laughs> sat down <laughs> and played video games <laughs> like Grand Theft Auto and Resident Evil and things like that. And that image it just makes me laugh. I know. I can't, I can't help it. It's a hilarious image. <laughs> Scalia and Ginsburg, who are good, who who are best friends, Scalia and Ginsburg playing each other. That would be awesome, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, doing like a Call of Duty like death match or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Stephen, it looks like now in Illinois, there uh, there's a representative there, Marcus Evans Jr. And again, these aren't just Republican white Karens coming for your video games. This is a black guy, a Democrat. Mm And he's looking to to pass this law to uh, ban the sale of all violent video games. 
It's just because he's he says that, well, we need to do something to reduce carjacking and violent crime in our state. You know, and again, the American Psychology Association came out with another report, Stephen, in 2020, and they have done this over and over again. And what did this report in 2020 say, Stephen? That there is, again, little scientific evidence that supports a causal link between violent video games and violent behavior. We keep doing this, Stephen. We keep doing this, and yet mm-hmm. the Democrats and the Republicans, they keep... Look, censorship comes in all forms, people, and it comes at you from every side. It's what the government does. That's right. And they just mm-hmm. don't seem... There's nothing scientific to support it, and yet, Stephen, it's like we keep having to do this dance over and over and over again, and it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, they just they just need a scapegoat for their own, you know, a f- failure to do stuff for the people in their state. Yep. Or in, in actuality, if there weren't any video games, there'd probably be more violent crime because people wouldn't have anything to do. <laughs> and they wouldn't have a way to, like, I don't know, let off their, their aggression or something like yep. that. Which is scientifically proven. That's Video games do that, you know. Yes, they do. Instead of going out and beating somebody up, you go and you, you know, beat somebody up in a video game. It's, yep. It's what happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Stephen. Well, those were the headlines that caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Now it is time, my friend, to turn our attention to this wonderful selection of comic books from Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Stephen, let's kick this off, shall we, with the amazing Spider-Man number 60. This issue is brought to us, the words by Nick Spencer, the pencils by Mark Bagley, the inks by John Dell and Andrew Hennessy, the colors by Michelle Rosenberg. Stephen, I love, thank God, I, I really, I'm so happy that Marvel has the recap page. It is the best thing in the world. I love that they started doing these a while back. You know, when I was a kid, there was no recap page. You just hopped on a title and you were lost. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to figure it out for yourself, right? Luckily, we get a recap yeah. page, and the recap page tells us that using the Sin Eater, Kendra cleansed many villains of their sins, including Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. The defeat of the Sin Eater returned those sins to the villains, all except the Goblin. With this new mm-hmm. lease on life, Norman revealed the secret. Kendra is actually Norman's son, Harry Osborn. Harry's machinations were all in service of one goal, tormenting his old pal Peter Parker as a punishment for Peter's sins. His scheme not only threatened Peter, but it also endangered Peter's loved ones, including Mary Jane. Fortunately for Spider-Man, Harry's master plan went awry when Norman and Kingpin trapped Kindred in a dark force cage. Norman asked Peter to help reform his son, but Peter refused, vowing to wash his hands of the Osborne family once and for all. But Kindred shook Peter to his bones, and he's on the edge more than ever before. All right, that's our recap to catch everyone up to speed. Well, we begin this issue with Peter having a nightmare about Kindred. Mary Jane walks in the room and tells Peter to get dressed, and they have some place to be. We cut to Peter and MJ arriving at the theater where MJ got her first big break. Back in Amazing Spider-Man number 961, Stephen, MJ tells Pete to get on the stage, and then she turns a spotlight on Peter. MJ sits down and says she knows Peter's having unresolved issues stemming from him defeating Kindred and then refusing to help his longtime friend Harry Osborn. Peter says that this is not going to work for him. MJ says that she's never she never got to say goodbye to her good friend Gwen Stacy and that being a ther- uh, seeing a therapist and getting her feelings off her chest helped her. MJ says that seeing a therapist is not Peter's style, so this might be the next best way for Peter to clear his mind. And Stephen, cue the exposition that just goes on and on. Yeah. 
MJ, tell, <laughs> MJ tells Peter to close his eyes and focus and imagine he is here with Harry. Peter closes his eyes and focuses and then opens them and sees Kindred sitting there where MJ was sitting. Peter goes on for about four pages. It's a long soliloquy about how he has been so angry that everyone he cares about is in danger because of Peter being Spider-Man. Peter says that he feels that all of this really is his fault, his responsibility. Peter says that he's trying to do good and save lives, but people he loves keep paying the price. That maybe none of them change as much as they think they do. That maybe Peter is just trying to run from his guilt and is taking everyone with him. Peter says that he feels trapped in this cycle of punishment. Peter says that he has no marriage, no kids, and is struggling to make ends meet. That Peter may become an Avenger or run Parker Industries, but that he always seems to land right back in the same place. Yes, that's because it's a remixed culture, Stephen. Indeed, yes. Spencer has his finger on it. <laughs> uh, Peter says he has to break the cycle, this endless cycle. Peter says this is why he was done with Harry and Norman Osborn. But in fact, it was a lie. Peter asks Harry to tell him what to do. Peter then starts to cry. We then see MJ and Peter hugging each other. They then sit on the stage next to each other. Peter says that he feels like a weight has been lifted off his shoulders, for now at least. MJ says that Peter has been through multiple traumas. True. Peter says that he is going uh -huh. to miss MJ. MJ says, hey, I'm not leaving town for LA for my movie premiere. Instead, she's having them do the premiere in New York. Peter and MJ kiss. Peter then realizes he's late for class. He slips into his spidey suit and web-slings his way across town. Peter thinks how he feels great having MJ by his side and that maybe that is all any of us need to get through. Life is just having someone there they can trust. We then cut back to the theater. Oh, no. Can he really trust MJ Steven? Because we see Mysterio appearing on the scene. And Mysterio says, I was a creeper and listened to a lot of your conversation between Peter and yourself. <laughs> and he says that MJ is making promises she cannot keep. MJ counters that New York is the perfect uh, location for the premiere since it is Mysterio's old stomping grounds. Mysterio asks when MJ is going to reveal to Peter that she has been working with Mysterio this entire time with making her comeback performance. MJ says that it's not the right time with the events of Kindred and all that. Mysterio says that some things are better left unknown. We then shift to Doctor Strange making an appearance at a casino. Doctor Strange slaps mm -hmm. around the guards outside the uh, room in the casino. Doctor Strange then walks into this office of the casino owner. And Doctor Strange says that this casino should be burnt to the ground. Strange mentions Kindred. And the casino owner replies, I don't know about Kindred, never heard of them. And I can't, don't keep tabs on my former employees anyway. The camera then turns around and we see that the casino owner is none other than Mephisto. Oh no, Stephen. Doctor Strange asks, what is wrong with Peter Parker's soul? End of issue. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. You had to wait for the excitement, Stephen. You had to wait for it, but you did get a nice hook ending. I will give Spencer credit on that at least. Stephen, mm -hmm. Amazing Spider number 60, give me the good. I haven't really been following comics much since we stopped the show last year so i feel like i got a pretty good recap of what they've been doing with peter parker what's been going on in his life how he feels about it i was very shocked by that recap page i was like wow okay <laughs> that's that's a lot yes i didn't really have a problem with what he tried to do with it 
Um, I think that having MJ do that thing for him was very sweet. It's a, it's a good reminder of, you know, the, you know, the classic, the classic couple. It's always nice to yes. still see them together. Yes. I think that had his moment to do his therapy been a little more visually stimulating. <laughs> yes. Or <laughs> shorter. Right. Might have been more impactful. Yes. You know, this isn't a novel. Yes. So we had to have something, something there to, to keep us going. Yes. I don't want to say that I didn't, that I thought it was bad or terrible. I don't think so. I just think it's too, I hate saying too wordy. I don't like telling writers how to write their stuff, but I think it should have been a little more like some little more visual, something a little more to keep you, right. keep you focused on it. Cause that was a lot. That's a lot of text. Yes. And very much like, it's just like close up shots of his face. Yes. Like you don't even really see yes. Harry Osborne or anything that happened or whatnot. Cause it would have been a great, like little, like jumping on recap issue. And I guess it is a, a jump on issue it. It is. Yeah. You're finding out what happened and whatnot, but I don't know. I think that's, that's that's the biggest detriment for me. I I think the hook ending is interesting. I like the the hook that she because I knew there was going to be something right with that. Right. Like okay, what is really what's going on here? I like the fact that she seems to be she knows uh, Mysterio. Um, I guess maybe he worked on her movie or something. I'm not sure. Um, I like the ending with Mephisto. It seems it's definitely a pause button issue. Yeah. I wish it was done better. I don't think it's bad. It's just, eh, okay, I guess. The good for me, Stephen, it does have plenty of emotion. I mean, Spencer does give, Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of exposition, and we'll get to that in my bad section of this review, but it it, it does have plenty of emotion. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. It, And the emotion feels genuine from both Peter and MJ. I think Spencer continues to create good chemistry between Peter and MJ. I love the couple anyway. I just love Peter and MJ together as the couple. They're cute. They're sweet. (laughs) It's just nice to see. It's refreshing and what can often be kind of a jaded and cynical world that is the Marvel Universe. So I like the mm-hmm. two of them together a lot. I also like the concept of, you know, the person that you can trust, the good woman by your side makes you a better man for Peter. It's a nice message. It's a positive message. I like that as well. I thought that from a technical standpoint, Spencer did a good job constructing the issue in that he made the perfect segue from Peter talking about you got to have someone you can trust that what gets you through life to MJ revealing that she's <laughs> hiding things because Mysterio is yeah. the director of her movie that she's making the big comeback in. And okay. that's that's kind of big information that, to hide from Peter, obviously. So that was, <laughs> that was good story construction there. I like that. I also like the hook ending with Dr. Strange asking Mephisto what is wrong with Peter's soul. That's a nice way to loop all the way back to One More Day from 2007 by Joey Q and JMS. That debacle that, in my opinion, has really hurt the Amazing Spider-Man franchise more than anything at all. I do like that they're looping back to it. I'm hoping that what we're going to see with this hook ending, Stephen, maybe we're going to see some kind of fix put in place from one more day. That would be nice. I I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm very curious to see where he takes it. That is my initial guess, though. 
Isn't that what we always hope for every time anything remotely related to one more day pops up? And yeah. Then it I, doesn't really do it. Yeah, I think that's what it, that might be one of the few things that Marvel fans universally agree on that one more day is bad and needs to go away. Also, I love the art. Bags is great. He's a great artist. It's unfortunate, though, that Spencer gave Bagley literally nothing to do in this issue. And I mean, yeah. nothing to do in this issue. <laughs> That's unfortunate because Bags is a great artist. He deserves a better script than that to showcase his talents. And, and that leads yeah. that leads me into what I the bad for this. It's it's a slow issue. It's boring. Mm-hmm. There is zero action. The layouts are dull. The panels are dull. There is a wall of exposition. It's it's a lot of close-ups of Peter talking. It's a lot of just boring panels of people sitting and talking. Again, we've touched on this before and talking about manga versus American comics. It's like this current crop of American comic book writers seem to forget that comic books are a visual medium. It's not a novel. It's a visual medium. And these writers keep treating them like novels and giving their artists nothing to do. And it, yeah. you can do that. You, you, can, you can write this way in a novel. But you can't in a comic book. You have to give the reader something to see. There has to be something visually stimulating. and it, it, It's a visual medium. You can't just have characters sitting there doing nothing and just a wall of text. It doesn't work for a comic book. You're missing the point of this medium. That's my biggest complaint with this issue, Stephen. That really is. I agree. There's lots of ways to do, to do this kind of thing with, with that wall of texting it. You could probably go on all day dissecting I know. this and, try and putting it back together right. in a better way. So I don't know. I do wish they had done a better job. I'm not. I don't think. I don't think his his writing of it was was bad. Right. I just wish that it had been better constructed. I yep. guess. Amazing Spider-Man always needs to have at least a little bit of action, Stephen. In every issue, you got to give me a little bit of just a little bit of action. It's Amazing Spider-Man for crying out loud. And that leads me to my final yeah. point. Who is this title being written for? It's Amazing Spider-Man. You know, we've talked about this before in the past. There are certain titles that Marvel makes, certain titles that DC makes, that the primary target has to be younger readers, period. I kind of think Superman is that for DC. I think Spider-Man is that for Marvel. And you should always yeah. be writing those titles with kids. And I'm not talking like six-year-olds, but I mean, you know, between you know, pre-teens and teens in mind. You need to be writing it with kids in mind. It doesn't have to be kiddie. Again, you can absolutely make things kid-friendly, but not kiddie. Why would... Amazing Spider-Man was my gateway comic to Marvel Comics. And I think that is for most kids. Probably Spider-Man or Hulk. I think for most kids... That's the case. Why would a kid want to read this issue, Stephen? Why? To see middle-aged people blather on and on and nothing happen? Why would you, would you want to read this as a kid? I think that's a big mistake. Yeah, I think so. That's why you employ the visual medium of it because, you know, kids like stuff that looks cool. Right. And if you can do this while making it look cool, then, then you've done your job. Right. Exactly. Agreed. But... Something that looks cool. There's nothing, you know, a movie that is just close-ups of somebody talking about their problems and crying is not very compelling. <laughs> fair point. I mean, uh, fair, fair point. I say don't use that approach with comic books. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. How would you grade out Amazing Spider-Man number 60? 
I'll say for the art, um, I'll give the art a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Bags is is wonderful, yep. and he does his best. Yes, but because there's just not much to work with, and I noticed there were two panels where I hate I hate to be like this. There are two panels where it's Peter looking away from MJ or something, and she's kind of in the background, right? And it looked like she had like this evil like Joker smile <laughs> on her face. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I was like. What the hell was that? But it was just, you know, it's, I noticed things like that. I'm very picky. It's, yeah. it's it, and you can ignore that, whatever. Um, so I'm not going to deduct any points, but that right. was a very odd, like the hell. What? That's <laughs> why so I thought she was like a, like that was going to be as she's a monster. Or something. Oh God. Not really. MJ. Right. For Spencer's writing. Like I said, I don't think it was bad. I just think the construction of the overall issue was not, was not well done, but I did like the twist at the end. So I will give it, I'll be generous and give it a six. There you go. All right. Just well, right Steven, that's a fair grade. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm very close to you. The writing, I'll go five night girls out of 10. The art, I'll go seven night girls out of 10. Not because of anything bags did. It's just Spencer didn't give him anything. Yeah. So that gives it overall six night girls out of 10. All right, Steven, next up. Stay in the Spider-Man family, shall we? Black sure. Cat number three. This issue, the writer, Jed McKay, the artist, C.F. Via, and the colors by Brian Reber. And this one, Stephen, thank goodness, again, you got the handy recap page because this is a king in black tie-in issue. I, You know, Stephen, before you even get into this, I, you know, you're kicking off a brand new title. Mm-hmm. I do you really want to make the beginning of a brand new tile where you're trying to establish the main character, their supporting cast, their world, the mission statement of the title? I, you want to make it a tie-in issue to a big a tie-in story to a big event? Right, that's a that's a bad way. It it makes it almost impossible for McKay to be able to pull off what you need to do on a brand new title. I think that's a tactical error. You have enough tie-in issues to the King in Black. You don't need this. <laughs> yeah, talk about kneecapping your your creative team. <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 it's it's unfair. So my score for this title, it it's not all on the creative team. So the recap is, uh, during the battle against Null, Felicia was given an all-important mission, free Doctor Strange, who had been captured by Null's forces and rendered unconscious. Felicia and her crew enlisted the help of Bats, Strange's ghost dog, who I love, Steven. I love yeah. Bats. <laughs> Not just a ghost dog, he's a ghost basset hound. Yes! It's so <laughs> cool! Uh, who brought with him a magical artifact that they hoped would give Strange the juice to fight the King in Black. They then commenced the rescue mission of a lifetime, swimming through symbiote goo and scaling skyscrapers in the spider buggy, spider buggy, to reclaim <laughs> the Sorcerer Supreme. Once the dust settled, Doctor Strange was safe, but still down for the count. With no time to waste, Felicia decided to take the mystical artifact, a branch from the Yggdrasil world tree, into hey, her own that's cl- right. Yep, yep, Good yep. Good job. Uh-huh. See? I got it. I got it. Uh, into her own claws, imbuing herself with the powers of Asgard. That's very hard, Stephen. Normally, I cannot pronounce any word from Northern Europe yeah. or Central Europe. Uh, no, or Eastern <laughs> Europe. I can't do those words. There you go. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> and this issue starts with Black Cat inside of her mind, and suddenly the Black Fox appears. Oh, but it's not the real Black Fox. We find out it is actually 
the old magic from the Yggdrasil World Tree staff talking to her, but using a form that she would be comfortable with, her old mentor, the Black Fox. Excellent choice. I like that. That was a cool choice. Good job to McKay for using Black Fox for this discussion. He then tells her we're in, we're in a part of her consciousness. We then shift to outside of Black Cat's mind, and we see her wielding the branch of Yggdrasil, the world tree. The Venom dragons are all surrounding her. Doctor Strange bats the ghost dog, and Felicia's boys are in the spider buggy. We then cut back to Black Cat's mind. She tells the old magic to send her back outside to finish fighting. Black Fox says, I'm going to call him Black Fox, but it's it's the old magic. Sure. Says yeah. that he wants to... He wants to be free, but to do so, he needs a conduit, one that can provide consent. So even old magic, Stephen, likes consent. It might be evil. It might be evil, but it, it still appreciates right. consent. <laughs> very, very polite evil. So yeah. he, the old magic offers Black Cat power of creation itself. Black Cat goes, hold on, I got expensive tastes, and you got to give me a taste of that power that you're talking about. And it's got to be enough of that power to take out the Venom Dragons. And the old magic agrees. We see Black Cat powering up and start kicking butt on all the Venom Dragons. We zip back into Felicia's mind. And the old magic asks, when was the first time Felicia felt powerless? We see a TV in front of them, and it shows Felicia as a little girl being told by her mother that her father died in a plane crash. In reality, Felicia's father got sent to jail and wanted the mother to tell Felicia that he was dead rather than going to jail. Wow, pretty harsh, but there you go. Felicia says that eventually she got her father out of jail so he could die in his own bed, and that she lived and survived the experience. The old magic says that Black Cat always lives, but she's always badly hurt, like during the gang war between the owl and Dr. Octopus, and she felt powerless, and you see her getting totally beat up. We cut back to Doctor Strange regaining consciousness. Bats, woo-woo, tells Strange that Felicia has the Yggdrasil staff. <laughs> we slide back to Felicia's mind, and the old magic is telling her she needs power. Spider-Man made that point clear to her, and then she finally found that power in Kingpin, but it still didn't matter, not to Spider-Man. We zip back to Doctor Strange, telling Felicia's guys that she is channeling raw power of creation and that she must put it down of her own accord. They can't just take it away from her before she is overwhelmed. And if she's overwhelmed, then she'll be a bigger threat than even Null, the king in black. Oh, no. That only Felicia can stop herself. But Strange goes, that's impossible to resist the temptation of ultimate power. So just writes her off, right? She's hosed. Yeah. We cut back to Felicia's mind. The old magic says that even with her power, it was still not enough. And we see Venom holding a beaten and bloodied black cat. Felicia says enough of this, that she can't be broken down. Suddenly, old magic and Felicia are on a game show set. I love this, Steven. The game show set. I, anything involving a game show set, I'm <laughs> down for. Because I imagine like Bob Barker's voice as the old magic is talking to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the old magic says, let's show the lady what she can have behind door number one is the total annihilation of her enemies. And she smiles and she's like, Black Cat's like, ooh, well, I, I like this. And, and old magic's like, but that's not enough. She also gets what's behind door number two, which is everything. The wealth of nations and the infinity gems. All the heroes and villains kneeling before her. Her father brought back to life. And she's like smiling like, whoa, this seems pretty nice too. 
And yeah. Old Magic goes, but hey, there's more. Because behind door number three is love. All your former lovers return to your side. And at this point, Felicia snaps and goes, hold on. Magic just made a mistake. He offered her mm-hmm. ashes that she would never make someone love her with magic. Felicia has standards, Stephen. So we cut back to Doctor Strange <laughs> and Felicia's boys watching Felicia struggle. And then suddenly she depowers, lets go of the Yggdrasil staff and falls to the ground and is caught by one of her boys. Doctor Strange says that they're not out of the woods. They see the venom dragons filling the sky. Black Cat tells Strange to teleport her boys somewhere safe. He does so. And Strange and Black Cat then get ready to battle the venom dragons. End of issue. All right, Steven, Black Cat number three, tell me the good of this issue. What's the writer's name again? McKay. It's not one I'm familiar with. McKay? Yeah. Okay. Um, McKay, I think he does, a, I'm assuming it's a he. Jed, a he? I think so, yes. Jed, oh. <laughs> well, I would hope. I mean, I guess you could name your daughter Jed, uh, fair, but probably not. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think he does a good job with, with Black Cat's character. If this is the first time I ever picked up an issue with her, I think he does a, a pretty good summation of who she is as a person. Agreed. Some of her vices and some of her her you know virtues. Agreed. I like that they use a lot of her um, of her continuity, like from like the past Marvel stuff. Agreed. Um, there's a lot of stuff reading now. I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's something that happened. Yep. And I like how they use that to kind of like delve in to her in the in like in this moment. Yes. Um, especially I, I thought it was interesting given that this crossover is mostly about Venom that they, of course they bring up the Venom from the past yes. and it with her and Venom. Yep. But I really liked that a lot. I liked, um, most of her interactions with the, the old magic, the black Fox. Yep. Um, when we talk about the bad, I'll go into that. It's just a, it's just a pet peeve of mine, yep. but you know, whatever. And I kind of, I kind of dug, I kind of dug the art. At least the art inside of her subconscious, I thought was pretty. Yes, was pretty, uh, was pretty good. It was, it was like somebody was trying to do Mike Bagley. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah, and I think that I think they did a pretty good job. Oh, totally. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool. So yeah, I liked all the stuff that was about her character, Mm -hmm. and most of the stuff that was in her, her mind. Yes. Um, and then everything outside of the mind was, I mean, th- there's action. And, yes. Yeah. You know, she has a, a good look as, as guardian black cat. I yes. thought it was kind of neat. Yep. And of course, you know, the star of the show is ghost basset hound. Uh, um, of course, bats. Yeah. Oh, you got it. Yeah, of course. For me, that's the good. Okay. Um, most mostly bads. Okay. But, you know. For me, the good would be I do like how McKay writes Felicia's character. I think he has a good feel for her personality, a really good feel, and that's important. He gives her a an excellent external voice. I think it is unique and true to her character. It's just very well done. He gives good dialogue to her. The dialogue between Black Fox slash old magic and Felicia is well done as well. I yeah. I mean the dialogue where where Black Fox Old Magic gives her the offer of ultimate power and she's like, whoa, 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 sailor. First you gotta buy me dinner. I got yeah. expensive tapes. <laughs> I was like, that but that is so black cat. It's like McKay just he knows her character. And what I like mm-hmm. about Black Cat is they're not they're not gonna Carol Danvers her. And give her that generic, I'm strong, Marvel 
superhero in <laughs> character. You know what I mean? They're letting right. they're letting Black Cat be who she is, mm-hmm. and she's very unique. And she's absolutely she's the Black Cat. She's gonna be sultry and sexy, mm-hmm. but really smart and really controlling and manipulative. And he really plays that up. That's what makes Felicia mm-hmm. so likable and unique. Yeah. I, and I, I like these really staying true to her character. That's a big thumbs up to me because I'm a big fan yeah. of Black Cat. Always have been. Mm-hmm. I also like his use of continuity. Like you said, that's great. I like that. He reminds you of her history with Venom. That's very important with trying to give her something, some type of organic reason for her to want to fight. null. Other than right. it's a big corporate mandated tie-in, <laughs> you know. So I like that. That was yeah. that was smart on his part as well. I thought the Yggdrasil staff was cool. I like that it used mm-hmm. Black Fox as its form, and the game show scene, Stephen. I just loved it. I thought it was yeah. really well written. The oh wait, the lady gets door number one, but she also gets what's behind door number two. It, it was really cool, and it gives Felicia that hero moment where she can show mm-hmm. off that she, you know she might be a criminal and she might be this vixen who you can't really trust but right. at the end of the day she's a good person. She's a right. And that's important. That's really important as well. It's it's every roguish character needs to be a good person at their heart. Mhm. And so I agree. that's what I liked about it. Stephen the bad. Give it to me. I think this this title is hamstrung by the fact that right out of the gate, pretty much, they have to do a tie-in. Yes. I feel like it, it was important to have an issue like this for people who may just be jumping on in a tie-in and to get to explore Felicia's character. Yep. Um, I don't think it's something that you should have done in an issue three, maybe issue one. Agreed. But I don't know how much is mandated and how much... Uh, Mr. Jed had to work around this. Right. I assume he had to rework his entire, that this was the strategy given to him and he had to make oh, it work somehow. Th- there's no way McKay would have <laughs> voluntarily suggested this is a way to kick off a brand new title. There's no way. Right. Nobody would. No, it's crazy. A masochist. Right. <laughs> this is just a pet peeve of mine. Um, and this is actually because of something you told me one time when you <laughs> helped me with something I was writing in college. Uh-oh. It was a, I was writing a play. It was the, or a little segment of a play. It was the, the Garden of Gethsemane. It was Jesus and Satan. And you told me, because I had a scene where Satan, like, was defeated or whatnot and freaked out when I said, no, a character like Satan should always be cool. Right. Should always be in control. Right. And that's just how, you know, the character's written like that. Yep. Uh, or he should be written like that. It's more interesting that way. Yes. And I've always carried that with me going forward because it's great advice. Uh, <laughs> At least I think so. Yes. And so when I see these like all powerful like God type characters and they do something really stupid, yeah, it kind of irks me. Yes. Like the the Yggdrasil um, staff, the old magic, is in Felicia's head. It occupies space in her subconscious. It clearly has seen her memories. Right. And knows how to manipulate her. Yes. So why, at the very end, when you're about to make the deal, do you pull the one thing that's going to trigger her to reject you? Yes. 
I hate that yeah. so much. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a huge pet peeve of mine. There is, if there, I feel like it would have been more impactful for her to have gotten everything she wanted and still found the courage to say no. To yes. Me. Agreed. Agreed. Now, the thing about what they do, it's not bad for her character. It's just, I wish it wasn't, you know, the old magic be suddenly being really dumb right. when it knows her supposedly so well right. the whole time. But that's a pet peeve of mine. I hate that. I don't want to like deduct points for it, but like it is kind of a, a convenient like it is. Well, we have to get to the end of the issue somehow. So. Right. And also it also <sighs> makes the reader think that well, if he had just offered her all the money and all of her enemies to be defeated and mm-hmm. broken at her feet, she would have accepted it. If he yeah. had just offered her all the money in the world, she would have accepted it. If he had just right. offered her all the power in the world and all the infinity gems, she would have accepted. Mm-hmm. If he had offered her all the yeah. heroes in the world, subjugating themselves and bending the knee to her, she would have yeah. accepted. Would have accepted it. That's not yeah. a good message to send. That's not a good message to send. Instead, yeah. keep keep the old magic smart by offering those things knowing that they appeal to her, not offering her the love thing because he should know, it being in her mind, she won't be receptive to that. Keep right. sticking to the things she'd be receptive to, having her be receptive to him, and then going no and rejecting it. Yeah. That makes her seem more heroic. Now you think yeah. she would have accept, accepted if he hadn't gone the love route. If it was something like she was prepared to accept it and like she saw like you know, and like the vision of like the world or whatever, she saw that image of everybody, like all her old lovers, like, Oh my God, you know, I love you, Felicia. Then that would have made sense. Like it have still done that. It was like, it was maybe her subconscious telling her that, you know, this was going to happen. Right. And the old magic just didn't expect that. I, that would be, I like that. Cause it would be her like kind of like breaking through trying to show like what was really going on or something like that. Yep. But you know, at the end of the day, that's that's the way it went. There were, I think, I think there were bigger problems. I think the fact that they had to keep devoting page time to this tie-in. Yes, agreed. Is, pro- is the is the bigger problem? I agree totally. You know? This should not have been yeah. a King and Black tie-in. The opening story mm-hmm. arc. They should just you, you don't need every stinking title in the Marvel universe to be a tie-in issue. You didn't need to start Black Cat with a with a tie-in storyline. That was just yeah. a dumb mistake. I agree with you. I'd, I'd rather the, <laughs> let her stand on her own two feet and try to get this title yes. underway. That was my biggest complaint. It's a young title, and they got to focus on building up the title and its characters, its supporting cast, its world, its mission statement, its reason to get the reader to come back and buy this, its, its reason to say why it's unique and stands apart from the other comics on the racks at your comic book store and mm. none of that happens because building up this new title is having to be subservient to satisfying the corporate editorially mandated big event story and that's just not yep. that's not a recipe for success with a new title in my opinion i you know i guess others probably feel like no tying it into a big event will get more people to come to the title i guess that's their comeback to us <laughs> I guess they've had multiple years of doing it, but maybe they know something that we don't. Right. They keep doing it. Right. All right, Stephen, how would you grade out (laughs) Black Cat number three? 
I'll give the writing a seven. I can't give it more than that because it's more because of editorial. It's not because of uh, of, of Mr. McKay. Yes. Forcing it to be a tie-in. And I think my, my pet peeve is probably directly related to that because they had to end it. Yep. And get back to get back. black stuff. That's right. Um, the art, I'll give it a seven as well. As well, it is it is Bagley-ish. Yes. It's not as refined as, as Bagley stuff. Yes. So I'll give it a little bit, just a little bit under what I'd usually give him. All right. And, Fair. Uh, Fair enough. Seven. Fair enough. I will go the writing. I'm going to go seven night girls out of 10 for the writing. The mm-hmm. art, I'm going to go a scotch higher than you. I'll go eight night girls out of 10 because I think he draws a really nice black cat. And uh, yeah, so sure. an overall score, seven and a half. <laughs> All right. Maestro, number two, this is a five-issue miniseries, Stephen. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Uh, this is brought to us by the words Peter David. Art mm-hmm. by Javier Pina doing the main story and Jermaine Peralta doing the backup story. Colors by Jesus Abertoff. This one, Stephen, after wiping out an entire brigade of rebellious stalkers and their children, the maestro realized that his iron rule over dystopia would not be enough to quell opposition. He must destroy even the desire to dream. Through a new political movement named Post-Apocalyptic Existence, PAX, he intends to unite humanity under a new world order. Anyone who refuses to swear fealty to his supreme rule will be eliminated, beginning with Machine Man and his band of survivors living under the White House. But Machine Man wasn't interested in Maestro's dystopian vision. While he fought off the Maestro in one of his many robotic uh, robot bodies, the rest of the survivors escaped, leaving the, ma- the Maestro furious, and his troubles are just beginning. The Pantheon old allies of the Hulk have been watching and they're not keen on the maestro's plans. And now they've been joined by Dr. Doom. That is your recap. And Steven, this issue begins at the Pantheon secret base. They're all meeting and talking and Dr. Doom appears on the scene. Doom joins their meeting and says that this timeline is of importance to him, that he does not want the maestro ruining this world that he would like to live in. Doom says that they need to make a preemptive strike against Maestro, that Maestro is invincible, but Banner is not. Therefore, they decide to restore Maestro to his human form and then either kill him or at least imprison him. We then zip over to Alchemax. A dog of war attacks the minister. Maestro walks in and calls off the dog of war and makes fun of the minister, screaming like a little girl. That's just not a nice thing to do to your lackeys, Stephen. It's not a nice thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Meister's a bad boss. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> the minister says that he has visitors in the Pantheon. Maestro gets excited and says, the Pantheon are friends. And the minister's like, whoa, you mean a- actual friends? And the maestro's like, I do have actual friends, you know. That was Peter David. <laughs> that dude, he knows how to slide the comedy in at the right time. Yep. We cut to Pantheon waiting in the Maestro's throne room. Maestro enters dramatically by dropping through a skylight in the roof. Ajax, of course, who is really dumb and really strong, yeah. immediately attacks Maestro. The two brawl. Maestro says that he is Hulk and that they're friends. Ajax then recognizes Hulk as Maestro. Atalanta tells Ajax that Maestro is a friend. Ajax says that Maestro attacked them. Maestro says, I didn't attack you. I just like to make an entrance. Nice. We cut to Pantheon and Maestro sharing a feast. Atalanta asks about Maestro's PAX. Maestro says it stands for post-apocalyptic existence and that 
everyone does what he says, and they all live in peace. That's very simple and to the point, Stephen. I appreciate the directness. Uh, yeah. the, the members mm-hmm. of Pantheon say, they love the idea. <laughs> They're all like, yeah, great idea, immediately. <laughs> Atalanta says that they need to take care of AIM, though, that Modoc and AIM will stand in their way. Atalanta says they are also looking for payback since AIM killed Prometheus. Maestro says he knows the location of AIM's headquarters. We then shift to Maestro and the Pantheon entering the Pantheon's plane. They take off, and while mid-flight, Maestro asks how Prometheus died. Atalanta says she doesn't want to talk about it. Maestro then asks Ajax, who immediately says that Prometheus got sick and that no one killed him. Uh Uh-oh. Maestro grabs Atalanta by her throat. Maestro says that they need to tell him what's going on or or he will break her neck. The Pantheon then pull out their weapons, and suddenly Maestro gets wobbly and then passes out. The Pantheon says that Doom gave them high-powered knockout gas and that they filled the plane's cabin full of it and that the Pantheon are all wearing nose filters. Ha! Gotcha. Maestro passes out, falls to the ground. Doom's hologram appears and says that his drug did the trick. Atalanta says that Phase 1 is complete. Now on to Phase 2. That is the end of the main story, Stephen. We then get a very short backup story. Takes place... A few years ago at the, at the Pantheon's medical facility, Prometheus is on his deathbed. Delphi watches while crying. Ulysses tells Delphi that she is not responsible. Delphi says that she is. Prometheus wakes up and says, hey, Delphi, come here. She's like, yes. He goes, it's all your fault, and then dies. <laughs> what, a, what a great move. Uh, so <laughs> Ulysses tells Atlant- Atalanta that Prometheus is dead. Atalanta says that it's time for vengeance, that they will kill the entire Black Sky. End of issue. Stephen, give mm-hmm. me the good from Maestro number two. I've long held that Peter David is probably the most underrated writer in um, modern comics. 100%. Modern, I mean, like, from agree. the 2000s, probably from the 90s on, to be honest with you. I totally agree. Um, totally he agree. Is, he, yeah, he is, he is super consistent. He's super talented. I don't, I can't think of anything he's ever done that's been bad, Agreed. to be honest with you. And yet he never, he never got the credit of like a Brubaker or... Um, Bendis? Or Bendis. Well, Bendis didn't deserve that credit, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he's at least after a certain point. Yeah, I agreed. So. No, I think but, David's um, a better writer, better comic book writer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what if his Hulk run is maybe arguably the best? I would say character? so. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't really had anybody challenge that until recently. Um, yeah. Uh, Pax first run on the Hulk is really good. Yeah, his first run. Um. Yeah, <laughs> um, gotta qualify that. Yeah, you de- you definitely um, do. He's the old reliable is out there again doing yep. good comics. You know, it's almost like it's not a surprise. No, um, no. I I I really like the way he writes all the care. I like the way he writes the Maestro, where he still, you know, he still has that very. He seems to be more human than Hulk the way he talks. Yeah, um, the way he acts, he has that really kind of bizarre sense of humor mm-hmm. like mocking his employees. I bet he made that guy buy his own name tag. <laughs> That's kind of boss. He is. Yes. <laughs> I understand. Agreed. Um, <laughs> I like the stuff with the Pantheon. Now that is a name I have not heard in a long time. Oh, I know. Um, That's a real throwback, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, so it was really great to see them. I really, I think the stuff with Dr. Doom is interesting. I am kind of curious as to like 
like this place is a dump. Like why why are you so interested? Yes. In this in this world, but mm-hmm. you know it's Doctor Doom, so who knows? And I I really love the artwork. I think the artwork is fantastic. Yeah, agreed. Um, agreed. It's very like nice and detailed. Like the big panels are all very pretty. Yep. I can't really think of anything that. I, that was not done well in this issue. I think it's all, it's a very solid, perfectly well-delivered, you know, comic book story. It moves the story along well. Um, it gives you a nice, like, little, well, I don't want to say a twist because we knew that they wanted to, you right. know, they wanted to turn on him. Yeah. But I really like the way they executed the, you know, their plan against him. Yes. Um, the fact that he's so, and the fact that he's so like, oh my God, like they're my friends. I haven't seen them in forever. It mm-hmm. kind of makes you feel bad for him. It's mm-hmm. like, man, yeah. I don't know, dude, like this is not going to go well. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me interested to see what, what comes next in this story. Agreed. Now, do I think that this is a title that anyone was asking for or that we needed to get? No. Probably not. But the fact that it is good. It's cool. It's nice. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. I, I'm I'm very much like you. I, I, Peter David is just criminally underrated. He is such a talented comic book writer. And honestly, Stephen, Peter David, this is what Marvel and DC too. They need more Peter Davids. They need to find more Peter Davids. And by that, I mean writers who understand the comic book medium they are comic book writers they're not novelists posing as comic book writers they're not they're not they're not columnists posing as comic book writers they're not young adult fiction writers posing as comic book writers these yeah. he is a comic book writer and he understands the medium better than right. most and steven we will this i wanted to do this one first because it provides us a good contrast to what we'll get to later in this episode that peter david yeah. is like that old war horse that doesn't get credit but all he does is win all he does is win oh. and this comic is so well constructed from a technical standpoint yeah. steven you can't beat it from a technical standpoint yeah. this is what you got to do in a comic book he makes sure that even in dialogue heavy scenes there's something visually to look at he makes mm-hmm. sure that no matter what, you don't go more than a few pages with some kind of action. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the, you know, you had a lot of dialogue to begin, so he gave you the dog of war attacking the minister. It's only a couple of panels, yeah. but it keeps it lively. Then you mm-hmm. have the, the brawl when he first enters the scene with the Pantheon to keep things lively. Then you get more dialogue, mm-hmm. and then you get him attacking the Pantheon in the plane. It He understands you can't have the reader sit there for too long without something visually interesting to look at. This is mostly a dialogue-heavy story moving things along. There's no real battle scenes. Right. It's not what you would consider an action issue. He no. gets that concept. He really understands Meister's character, obviously. Not a surprise given his run on Hulk. Well, he, he, I mean, come on. Yeah. That, this is his baby, right? <laughs> he understands the character. Yeah. He just, I love how Peter David writes the Hulk. It is just so good. Meister's character has a great external voice. He has his own unique mm-hmm. personality. You actually feel his excitement when he's like friends. Like he here, he's just yeah. bullying <laughs> this subordinate in the minister, right? He's just bullying him. Mm-hmm. And then you see him light up like, oh, friends! Like, 
he's not all bad is the point. And David does a good job with that. Yeah, he's a dick, but he's also, there's also another side to him as well. And his oppressive world domination view is born out of the fact that this is a post-apocalyptic world and he doesn't really see any other way to achieve peace for everybody. So it's not like he's fueled by some type of hatred. It's, it's Mm -hmm. being fueled by what he thinks is the only, this is the only reasonable way to to go forward this post-apocalyptic world. So I like that. Mm -hmm. I also love the inclusion of doom into the story. And -hmm. again, I think David writes a good Dr. Doom. He Mm -hmm. is no doubt holier than thou, more intelligent than you. (laughs) And is it going to answer your stupid questions and reveal why he's doing what he's doing? Why is he in this timeline? Mm -hmm. Why does he want to save it? You don't need to know. The doctor says you don't need to know. And he's not interested in talking about (laughs) it. He really gets, David is just so good at character work. He's always been good at character work and dialogue. You know, his X Factor was yeah. was a study in character work. So he keeps that going with this mm-hmm. issue. The Pantheon was great to see. And like you said, Stephen, it's been forever. You know, they first appeared in Hulk, Incredible Hulk 368, back in 1990, Stephen. And we saw, he, yep. now, now David had him as a supporting cast from about 91 to 95 during his mm-hmm. run in the early to mid-90s. They were continual characters. But we really haven't mm-hmm. seen them since then. So it was really fun to to see them back again. Cause I think they're a neat cast of characters. I think the Pantheon's a cool yeah. concept. So I like them. He does a good job with them setting, uh, being the conflict for the maestro. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's just technically well done. The pacing, Steven is perfect. It moves mm-hmm. at the good pace. It knows when to speed up, when to slow down. The plotting is excellent. It's clear. It's purposeful. It moves with an obvious direction in mind. It doesn't meander. There's no fluff. Mm-hmm. What's not to like? <laughs> What's not to like? And just enough humor to keep it from being too much of a blah, depressing post-apocalyptic story. Yeah. And the artwork, I'm with you. The artwork is nice. It's a good-looking art. Javier Pena is a good artist. He has a nice style for mainstream superhero comics. He's perfect at it. It looks very visually appealing. Mm-hmm. Big, big thumbs up from me. Absolutely. Big thumbs yeah. up. Do you, uh, I, Steven, I, for the bad, I have no complaints whatsoever. Do you have any? No, I don't. I, <laughs> not, <laughs> not about the, not about the story, the way it's written or the way it looks or anything or anything like that. It's just, it's it's like Peter David did a great issue, like surprise, right? Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to give you like Crisis on Infinite Earths, but you know what? I think there's not a writer out there who understands the characters he writes better than Peter David does. I agree. I agree. All right, Stephen, how would you grade out Maestro number two? I get the writing an eight. I think it's like you said, it is like it is a you know we're moving right along to the next thing. But I think there's a lot of it's really entertaining. It's got enough good like really good stuff and good character work that um, it deserves that eight. I got the art in nine. I really liked it a lot. Nice. Is that an 8.5? Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice score. Nice I can't score. Do math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go the writing eight night girls out of 10 art, eight night girls out of 10. So overall eight night girls okay. out of 10. All right, Steven. Now let's go over to the 
X World, shall we, for the oh, three God. remaining titles. Let's start it off with mm-hmm. New Mutants number 16. This issue is brought to us the words by Vita Isla and the artist Rod Reese. Well, Stephen, you get a recap page for this one too. Not much of a recap mm-hmm. page. You didn't really need much of a recap page, to be honest with you, did you? What we do know is the new mutants have been tasked with training the youth of Krakoa, teaching them to use and combine their mutant abilities. But that's hard to do when they're, one, sneaking into other world, the one place they can kill they can kill them for good. Two, bullying each other. And three, getting suspiciously close to the Shadow King. All right, Steven. This <laughs> issue starts at the Braddock Lighthouse, the... Three teen mutants, Monica, Liana, and Josh, a blue boy with devil horns. Kind of reminded me, you remember that DC superhero, Blue Devil? Do you remember him at all? Uh, yes. Yeah, I had <laughs> I shades of him. It's like a combination of Hellboy and Blue Devil <laughs> blue mixed devil. together, oh, this, this Josh character. Anyhow, they sneak through the gate <laughs> to the other world and go take a selfie on the Avalon throne. Jamie Braddock suddenly appears. We see the two girls running back through the gate. At the Braddock Lighthouse, the blue boy Josh does not. We get a one-page insert of Warpath's journal. Evidently, this one-page insert, Stephen, was only added to make Warpath sound like an absolute idiot who does not know how to answer literally the most basic questions that an elementary school child would be able to answer, such as how do you view yourself, how do you view the world and others, and are you optimistic or pessimistic? This was horrid. And I am a huge Warpath fan. Didn't appreciate mm-hmm. him. I mean, seriously, Stephen, like you would think this character had a serious mental deficiency upon reading this one page. Yeah. <laughs> we then cut to the <laughs> wild hunt on Krakoa. Cosmar is crying over not being in control of her powers. Shadow King appears and says that he can help her. Scout, Rainboy, and No Girl, these names are horrid. We have just given up on code names at this point. Just call them by their regular names. Just call them by their regular mm-hmm. names at this point. I mean, Rainboy sounds like a, a member of the Legion of Substitute Heroes, to me at least. I can make it rain, guys. Uh, yeah, you're mm-hmm. not in the Legions. You can go to the Substitute Heroes. So, you can be with Arm Fall Off Boy and hang out with him. Yep. We then <laughs> Shadow King swaps the minds of the teens into each other's bodies. The teens are fascinated with how different their friends' bodies are from their own. Suddenly, they all start to lose control over the powers. Shadow King then swaps the kids back into their own bodies. Scout says that what Shadow King did was dangerous and that she is out of here. The other three stay and take up Shadow King on his offer to do it again. We get a one-page insert from the Crooked Caller, Stephen. It's the news service for Otherworld. It talks about Krakow and Intruder sticking their noses into Otherworld business. Okay, well, that was that was helpful. We hop back to cool. Krakoa. Magic wakes up. Mm-hmm. The teens that the New Mutants are tasked with training, evidently these teens, Stephen, have been harassing some of the younger mutants. Magic tells them that bullying is a sign of weakness, and Magic has some work for those teens. The teens wake up and immediately attack Magic. What kind of bloodthirsty animals are these teens, Stephen? I mean, wow. Uh, Magic says she was hoping they wouldn't come quietly. Now she can give them a taste of their own medicine. Wow, so magic magic likes to beat up kids now. Okay. Thankfully, Stephen, though, thankfully, Stephen, 
we cut away from this scene before we get any action at all. Don't you worry, Steven. You thought you were going to get some action, didn't you? No, my friend. We got you covered. No action. Don't worry. Instead, we cut to a scene that gives us what, Steven? More exposition. The teens uh, are now helping to rebuild the homes of the young mutants that they destroyed. Yes, magic has already dished out the action. And now she's overseeing them, rebuilding the homes of these young mutants and giving the kids some toys as well. Magic, Danny, and Doug are all monitoring the work. We then see the two girls from the beginning of the issue arrive on the scene to ask for help from the new mutants to get Josh back from Otherworld. Danny agrees to go help. We then shift to Danny packing up to go to Otherworld. Karma is there, and she says that she will go with Danny. The two then hop through the gate to Otherworld. You know what makes for a great comic book, Stephen? Watching characters pack. It's fun. We then zip over to Arbor Magna, where I boy. The names get better, Stephen. And Prodigy tell Ron, mm-hmm. Rain, I never pronounce her name right. Is it Rain or Ron? I think it's Rain. Rain. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wolvesbane. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> <laughs> they tell her that they still have not found her son, Tyr, but they know he's alive, that Cerebro is still making backups, that Cerebro is still reading, Tyr is active. Wolvesbane goes, that means he's out there scared and suffering. And Prodigy goes, well, we didn't say we know that he's scared and suffering. Maybe he's happy. And Wolvesbane goes, she's got to go and help her son. And she runs out of the scene. We then zip over to the kingdom of Avalon in Otherworld. Danny and Karma are meeting with the Burger King. Oh, no, it's Jamie Braddock. But I swear, Stephen, did that not look like the Burger King from the ads? Please. It's not just Uh, me, is it? Uh, don't ask me to, to try to figure out what the art was trying to say. <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other problem. Jamie <laughs> says that Josh asked him for uh, for help. That Jamie gave him a vehicle and supplies and set him off on his adventure. Jamie then creates a basket of helpful items and tells Danny and Karma to set off on their journey after Josh. We then cut to Danny and Karma on a horse. How are they going to catch a dude in a vehicle if they're on a horse, Stephen? And they're on their journey. <laughs> I know, oh, Stephen's like... Me. Sorry, I was... Did you, did was, you zone uh, out there, Stephen, from this exciting I issue? Was, I was definitely paying attention. <laughs> Karma oh, talks God. about how much she likes Otherworld, that her powers are more intense and refined here. A rabbit then appears. Oh, boy, yay. The rabbit... The ladies then ask the rabbit if it's seen a blue skin. This is just... I can't, I can't do this, Stephen. The rabbit waves at them and hops off. The girls then follow the rabbit toward a castle on the horizon. Luckily, Stephen, we skip over any unnecessary action scene that we might have gotten because we cut to Danny and Karma already in stocks and kneeling at the base of a throne. Yes, we skipped over what action scene took place in between them following the rabbit and them being captured. Thank goodness. On the throne sits the king of the Holy Republic of Fae. The king says they're trespassing on his lands. The ladies say that if he would just let them speak, they could put this right. The king then tells them to be silent and orders the guards, plural, Stephen. But please take note, there's actually only one single guard in the scene. (sighs) To take them to the dungeons. We then slide over to Wolvesbane, arriving at Danny's house. This issue will never end, Stephen. Wolvesbane sees a card on Danny's bed. The card is from Danny. She says that it, it was an emergency. She had to leave, but she'll be back. That Danny did not forget. That Danny will be there for her. Wolvesbane every step of the way. <sighs> we then shift to Josh riding a Velociraptor. Wait, I thought he was given a vehicle, Stephen. I'm confused. 
Anyhow, it's actually a Velociraptor. And he's, I still don't think a horse could catch a Velociraptor. He's heading to a city with evil elves guarding it. Josh says, this looks promising. <laughs> Steven's like in a coma. We then zip back to the Holy Republic of Fae. Danny and Karma are being put in the dungeons. Again, Steven, even though the king said the guards, said, told the guards to put the, them in a dungeon, it's still just one guard putting them in a dungeon. Karma tells Danny all she has to do is say the word and she can get him out of here. Danny says this is going to start an interdimensional war again. Mercifully, all the lords in the heaven have decreed this to be the end of the issue. God. Even <laughs> give oh, me, God. give me the, <sighs> give me the good of New Mutants number sixteen. <laughs> it's just Steven's blank face staring at me quizzically. What's good? <laughs> that um, other than other than it's it over. ended. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can think um, of I can think of one good thing, Stephen. Are you ready? Oh boy, here we go. Isla has created an issue that has multiple plot lines. There are multiple plot lines. It's not just it's not it's not a comic book that only has one single plot line. There you go. That's all I got. <laughs> Stephen's zooming up to his face to look at me. <laughs> like, have I lost my mind with my one positive thing? <laughs> That's all I got, Steven. All right, the bad. Give it to me. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, man. I don't know where I begin with this. A word that sums up how I feel about this issue. It's a word that I only use for, I don't know, Terrence Malick movies, for all of Kanye West's recent music, <laughs> and for the books that my mom reads. Oh, <laughs> And if that word is uh, incomprehensible. Oh, yes. And yeah, that's uh, that's this issue. Um, <laughs> I cannot think of a single good thing in this. Not only for some reason, all of the X titles are like this. Their recap pages are not as good. No, as descriptive. No. So I was completely lost as to what was going on. There's too many characters. It's a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. Um, they, they're not written well. No, they're not distinct in any way. No. Um, the only thing that helps you separate them is that they say somebody else's name. Yes. So, you know, that it's not the person that they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but, th but otherwise they're cardboard cutouts. <laughs> pretty much. I think, I think that's an insult to cardboard cutouts. Actually. <laughs> Now, of course, you might uh, the dear listeners that we love very much yes. that we suffer through these kinds of comics for yes, we might do. be saying, "Well, Stephen, obviously you can look at them and tell that they're different characters, right?" No. Well, the answer to you, dear listener, <laughs> is no. You cannot tell the difference. No. You, I, I could tell. I could tell who the Shadow King was because he's big, fat, and disgusting. Yes. Um, and you could so tell that you could tell the Burger King. That's that's cool. <laughs> I guess you can. <laughs> they put they added an accessory to him, so I was like, okay, that's that's a guy with a crown. Is that I don't know. Um, the art is horrendous. It is. When I tell you we are in a scene with Wolf Spain, 
Um, and, and her regular, like, human-ish form, not as a wolf. Dear God, I don't want to see them try to tackle her as a wolf. No. And those other two characters, whatever, I literally could not tell the difference between them. Yes. It is three, like, there's this weird kind of bluish hue to everything. Yes. Which means that all most of these characters, um, it doesn't matter what race they are. No. They look blue. You look blue. Yeah. It looks like, at least on some of their faces, they try to have like some kind of weird like circle of slightly bright yellow. Yeah. I guess to try to identify, but it doesn't work. It just it just makes it more confusing and disgusting. Yes. Um <laughs> and now I'm not an I'm not an artist by trade. I'm a clerk by trade, but <laughs> um, and I'm not going to lecture people on how to do art because I can't do it, but nope. that does not work. No. I'm a kind of Zack Snyder for hating all colors that aren't gray and brown. And this, this person does not like anything other than blue. Yes. It's just a giant. It's like someone slapped a giant, disgusting blue filter on everything in this issue. Yeah. I can't tell what's going on. I can't see the characters' faces. There's no expressions on their faces. There's just very blurry features. Yeah. I could tell when they're in motion because yep. sometimes when they move, like, I could see their body has moved, but mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So there's no, like, no kinetic energy. There's no action. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I know that is always a criticism for you. Mm-hmm. Thank God they did not try to do any action. Oh, this. God, I know. I'd have been so mad. So mad. I'm just, I'm just saying. Oh. Man, I got to tell you, like, of all the bad issues that we have reviewed, and we've reviewed quite a few, yes, of course, I don't think I have ever seen art this bad before. Agreed. Uh, yes, even Rob Liefeld <laughs> did a better job yes. than this person. Yes. And I, I or this, this team of people, because it wasn't just one. No. That's why you have the the colorers and stuff too. No, no, no. Rod and Reese. Man, Rod Reese does it all, Stephen. Rod Reese does the pencils, oh, the inks, and the colors. Uh, okay, he so does everything. Oh wow! It's all Rod wow. Reese. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've. I mean, I've. I've read comics that Rob Liefeld did. I've read comics that uh, Lionel you did. Yeah. Um. I've read comics that Greg Land did, and you know what? Mm-hmm. I've never. I've never read a mainstream superhero comic with art as as poor. Yes. Not just bad, mm-hmm. poor mm-hmm. as this. Mm-hmm. And to compound on that, <laughs> yes. just an awful script. Terrible. Horrid. <laughs> it's atrocious. It's, it's so bad. I mean, no characters. No. Yes, there are things that are happening that you could call plots quote-unquote plots. There's a lot of quotes being thrown up here today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, it, but you know what? Like, nobody cares. Nope. There's too much talking. Yep. There's not a lot of doing anything. Uh. And I just, I don't know. I mean, usually if there's an awful script, there's at least some good art. Yes. Usually if there's some bad art, there's a good script. Correct. I cannot believe we have finally found oh, it. The unicorn of comic books. I know. Horrid writing, horrid art. Yes. Smack it all together yep. and you get this issue yep. of the New Mutants. <laughs> Vita Ayala, uh, maybe she could be an awesome novelist. 
a great young adult fiction writer? Maybe so, but I can tell you what she is not. She's not a comic book writer. It is painfully obvious. And the reason why I wanted to put this comic right behind Maestro by Peter David is Mm -hmm. is to, to highlight and to show how Ayala is not a comic book writer. It is painfully obvious when you read this issue that she has zero understanding of the comic book medium, period. No mm-hmm. understanding of it whatsoever from any possible standpoint. It, again, yeah. just because you th- you're a novelist, and young, young adult fiction or, or just regular fiction doesn't matter. You're a novelist. I don't care who you're targeting, young readers or older readers, doesn't matter. You're a novelist. You, that's how you construct yeah. the story. That's how you think of a story. That's how it's framed in your mind. That's how you deliver it. Mm-hmm. That's not a comic book writer. She is not a comic book writer. She doesn't know what she's doing, Stephen, and it's painfully out. From a technical standpoint, this issue is horrendous. The const- she's got yep. a lot of plot lines, but they're all very shallow. None of them are well-developed. Mm-hmm. The construction of the issue is a mess. You've got... Yeah. you. You you just randomly hop all around between all these plot lines. It feels scatterbrained. There is a complete lack of a unified vision or purpose for the title. I mean, absolutely none at all. There is no yeah. world building. This is not immersive. Mm-hmm. The reader isn't nope. invested. The reader doesn't mm-hmm. care. Tell them. Everything <laughs> is so superficial. On top of that, on top of the fact that the story, the plotting is so poor that it feels meandering, that it has no direction, no purpose, no point, the pacing is slow. It does it slowly. And then on top of that, again, this is a Marvel comic book. This is not an indie comic where a non-superhero indie comic where if you want to have 19, 20 pages of navel-gazing, you can. You can. That can happen on non-superhero <laughs> indie comics. And there are some people that like yeah. it. And, and Mazel Tov, I, I applaud you. But it's a Marvel oh, uh, comic. Yeah. It's a Marvel mm-hmm. comic. New mutants, superhero, mainstream. You, there is, it is inexcusable that Ayala gives the reader nothing to look at from start to finish. It is people standing, people sitting, people packing, close-ups of people talking. It is horrendous. It is as if she is writing a novel and doesn't realize that, oh, there's an actual artist involved in the storytelling process. And the biggest crime, Stephen, and you alluded to it, is there's no action. She actually purposely avoids the action, Stephen. She actually cuts Mm -hmm. away to skip over the action scene and then goes back after we would have had the action scene. She does this not once, Stephen, but twice. Once with Magic mm-hmm. and the teens. She's talking to him. We're about to have a fight. She cuts away quickly to after the fight. With Danny and Karma following the rabbit. She cuts away quickly mm-hmm. and goes to them already being captured. She does this time and time yeah. again. And do you know why? Because she doesn't know how to write action scenes because writing an Mm -hmm. action scene is not what novelists tend to know how to do very easily because you have Mm -hmm. to choreograph an action scene. That's what the writer has to do. They have to choreograph the action scene. They have to create fight psychology to the action scene. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's actually really hard. 
and a, no- a lot of novelists yeah, can't do that. She doesn't know how to do it. And the fact that she purposely skips over it, Stephen, is all the proof you know. She's telling you, I don't know mm-hmm. how to write action scenes. I don't know how to do yeah. it. Well, the, you shouldn't be writing for Marvel Comics. I, I don't know how else to say it. You shouldn't be writing for Marvel Comics. Yeah. You're, not, you're not the right person. Or learn. Yeah. One of the two. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, learn. You can learn. That's an option. <laughs> so the editorial staff deserves some blame because oh, they sure. need to know. They're the people in charge of hiring writers. Mm-hmm. You're hiring the wrong writers. Mm-hmm. You're not doing your job. And that's on the editorial staff. That's not on her. She's mm-hmm. taking, I, I, look, she's, take, she's getting paid. I'd take the money too. Mm-hmm. If you're going to hire me and let oh, me do yeah. it, I'm going to take the money. It's not up to me to tell mm-hmm. you I'm not really a good comic book writer. No. I'm going to take the money and take the, <laughs> and get the job. Are you kidding me? It's yeah. not her fault. It's their fault. It's the editorial's fault mm-hmm. for not... And Marvel does this a lot as of late, Stephen. They keep hiring writers who have no business writing comic books because they don't know how to mm-hmm. do it. And it's happening yeah. more often than not. And I'm telling you, there are comic book writers out there, Stephen. They do exist. They do exist. Uh-huh. Marvel doesn't seem to want to hire them. Go to the indie comics <laughs> arena. You can find good comic book writers. They're yeah. there. So Agreed. it's really disconcerting. And the character work, Stephen, you're right. There's, it's not there. The voices are generic. The personalities are generic. Everybody is bland. There's no chemistry. You don't care about a single one of these characters. You don't get invested in any of them. And the insert, Stephen... You know what? Mm-hmm. Hickman started the whole insert thing with his run on the X-Men. Yep. He's the one who started this technique of putting these mm-hmm. one-page inserts into the to breaking up the story, right? And all the mm-hmm. writers of the various X titles obviously have been told by editorial they have to follow that technique because everybody does mm-hmm. it. Everyone does it on all the X titles. So it's obviously yeah. editorial. Well, here's the problem with editorial doing that. Not everybody's Jonathan Hickman. Right. Hickman knows how to use these inserts properly to augment and flesh mm-hmm. out and supplement the yeah. story. Ayala has no clue what to do with them. Has no clue. Yeah. And as a result, you mm-hmm. get the what the, the one page Warpath one. Steven, that was a joke. First of all, it adds nothing to the story. I mean, it adds nothing to the story at all. Zero. And I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is Warpath even in this story? He's not. Then why did they do that? Thank you. Exactly. Bingo. That's right. So I mean, he could have been in there. He could have you been. Know, Wolverine could have been in there, but right. I didn't see him because the art right. is terrible. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe they so. weren't. We didn't see them. But that's it. You're right, Stephen. Though, why, why, why have it in there? If he's not in this issue, then he, you're wasting your this one page insert. And then on top of it, Stephen, mm-hmm. how do you view yourself? Warpath's answer with a mirror or other reflective services services sometimes in photos. Are you kidding me? How do you view the world and others? Generally with my eyes, but most of my other senses come into play. Come on, man. Yeah. No, Steven, um, no one is yeah. that stupid. Come on. Yeah, no, nobody talks like that. Come but, on. But, you know, she's being funny. They do not. <laughs> but it's, it's the thing where well, I'm going to get my comedy in regardless of it makes the character sound like a moron. Right. That's terrible. Well, it's not funny. It's not funny. First of all, it's, it's not, not funny. funny. It's not funny. And it, you know what? You know, yeah. Go ahead, it, I'm sorry. it makes him sound stupid. <laughs> yeah. If they want, if if her intent was to have a uh, 
like a, a gruff, like, I don't want to be here kind of character, then when they ask him, how do you see yourself, would have just said, a mirror. <laughs> so you know he's Nobody's being a smartass. No, right. Nobody who's a smartass in real life right. says a mirror, but also generally other reflective surfaces. Right. No, no, nobody talks like that. No, no. With how do you see the world? With my eyes. Boom. There you go. He's being a smart That's ass. That's all you need to know, right, right there. He's being he's being a smart ass. He doesn't want to be there. Right. That's great. And there, because there's no visuals to help, it's a great way to say this is what kind of character he is. Right. He doesn't have time for this. Right. He's bored. But you know what the help why other senses come to play? It's like no, stop. And, and then stop the, talking. And, and, but to, and to your point, Stephen, the third question is: Are you? Uh, optimistic or pessimistic and his answer is i think i misunderstood the last few questions so you're making him you you're making him seem unbelievably stupid like come on yeah it does that's that's horrible writing and that's that's just absolutely demolishing a character in the process and then her her second insert was useless the whole little little, the little (laughs) news blurb about hey there are mutants coming into other world done it added, it's so shallow. It was obvious that Ayala doesn't know what to do with these techniques that Hickman uses and is just mailing it in because she's told by the editorial, you got to use it. And so she's just mailing yep, it because this is just right. fluff. You, you could have given me a blank page. I'd have gotten the same amount of entertainment out of it. Yeah, same amount of information about a character, same amount about, you know, it. Uh, yep. so, so bad. So not, not a fan. No. <laughs> how, how would you grade out New Mutants number 16? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I cannot I cannot possibly believe that this is a thing that editorial looked at and said yes this is acceptable to put the Marvel the Marvel logo on yes and charge people money for it it it, it kind of pisses me off to be honest with you look I love bad stuff I love bad movies bad books bad <laughs> comics bad music it's right bad TV it's I love it. It's right. it makes me laugh. I always, you know, I always learn a lot more about writing from bad stuff than from good stuff sometimes. Yes. But this is not even remotely entertaining. This is just no. bad. Yes, correct. It's completely incompetent, but they didn't even have the nerve to try to go for something to make you you know, laugh at it or yes. be entertained in any way by it. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, you got to ha- you have your rule of positivity. Um <laughs> I don't so <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm gonna give it. Uh, it doesn't. I, I'm giving it straight. This is no. This is this is zeros. This is the worst thing Ooh. I think I've, you've ever made me read. <laughs> and and the entire time that we have known each other, um, and I will I will take this as a personal insult, <laughs> and I will find a way to have my revenge. So yeah. Fair enough. I zero will... art, zero writing with a grand total of zero. Oh, wow. Zero. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go with the writing. I will give it one. If you give it a one, I am, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> one. I'll give it one meth-addicted uh-huh. night girl out of ten. I will give the artwork... Insult to meth addicts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> One toothless crack addicted night girl out of ten for a total of I've seen crack addicts that look prettier than this artwork. <laughs> <laughs> a total of one oh, emaciated night girl out of ten. There you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right, Steven. 
Oh boy, let's move on uh, to hopefully greener pastures, shall we? Wolverine number <laughs> 10. This one is brought to us, the awards by Benjamin Percy, the artist by Adam mm-hmm. Kubert, the colors by Frank Martin. The recap page for this one, Stephen, Wolverine's investigation of a recent robbery committed by the Mercs led him to the Legacy House, which specializes in auctioning rare superhuman paraphernalia, including Logan's severed arm, that's gross, and his former team ex-teammate, Maverick, Pretty sure you can't sell people. Stunned by the appearance of the brainwashed Maverick, Logan was unprepared for the spotlights to turn on him and his cover to be blown because of their shared past. Logan was able to break through Maverick's reprogramming just in time for enemies and covetous bidders to surround them on all sides. Perfect, Stephen. We start with Maverick holding a gun to the merchant's head. He's the guy holding the auction. Wolverine tells the goons to drop their guns or their boss gets killed. The goons drop their guns. The merchant then whips out a gun that he had hidden on him and shoots Maverick's mask. Suddenly, we have a massive brawl. We see Special Agent Ramirez enter the scene with her army of CIA agents. She orders the CIA agents to capture the two mutants. Ramirez then picks up Wolverine's arm, still gross. Wolverine and Maverick continue to (laughs) plow their way through the goons. They then make a quick getaway. We see Wolverine and Maverick in the port of Madripoor. They make their way through a fish market. They battle a few more CIA agents. Wolverine says that there's a Krakoan gateway nearby and they can use that for their escape. Maverick, uh, he's not so excited about Krakoa. He doesn't need them. He says he has his own team. And on cue, we see a helicopter appear on the scene. It drops a couple of ropes down to our heroes. Wolverine and Maverick grab onto the ropes. And the helicopter flies off with them. Maverick says that his team is the Mercs and they are friends to no one. But that doesn't mean they're enemies. They're loyal to no one Mm -hmm. except themselves. Kind of think of Game of Thrones, the knights that don't have masters that the Hound joins up with. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Maverick says that Wolverine should relate to that. We cut to a one-page insert from a CIA phone log between Ramirez and the director of CIA. Ramirez says that she failed to acquire Maverick. Ramirez says the mutants will know that they made a move, but that mutants won't do anything. That the mutants are back-alleying on their promises as much as the U.S. is. This is why we need the X-Desk more than ever. Ramirez says that their original goal was to buy Maverick. However, if the auction funds are still available to her, then she has a more transactional approach that is still possible. Steven, this is how you use the one-page insert to effectively Mm -hmm. supplement and augment and further flesh out your issue. Bravo. We shift to the Mercs helicopter landing on their secret submarine that serves as their mobile hidden base. It's like their own private island similar to Krakoa. Maverick says that he is not following anyone's orders, not the government, not Professor Thornton, and not Professor X. Wolverine replies that Krakoa is not like that. It's a family. The Mercs all pop beers. Maverick asks Wolverine to join the Mercs, that they are the ones making the money and calling the shots. Wolverine says that he should be going. Maverick tells Wolverine to pull one more job with them before he goes. Wolverine then asks for another beer. We cut to the Mercs parachuting over a warehouse where the merchant kept much of his superhuman paraphernalia. They bust inside and see tons of tech and items from the X-Men, Avengers, AIM, S.H.I.E.L.D., HYDRA, and Fantastic Four. Wolverine thinks how he has made a lot of effort at piecing his life back together and remembering what he can, but he has come to learn that there is a certain freedom in forgetting. Wolverine says, let it burn. The Mercs then light all the items on fire. We shift to a one-page insert of the X-Factor logbook. It is a memo about Wolverine asking for a full review of his resurrection log, citing an aberration encounter during a recent operation, the presence of a severed 
arm, which indicates a possible anomaly in death logs, a possible relic of Wolverine of a Wolverine clone, or a possible genomic experiment by Zeno. Again, Stephen, this is how we use the Hickman one-page insert very effectively. Yep. Because Benjamin mm-hmm. Percy's an actual comic book writer. Uh, there you go. <laughs> we, we zip over to Wolverine and Maverick in Krakoa. Wolverine says that Krakoa is not perfect, but it finally gives mutants a country and a home. Maverick says that Logan does not sound like the man he knows. Wolverine says that the five can restore Maverick's mutant abilities that he lost in, you know, the big Wanda, no more mutant moment. Right. Maverick says that he likes who he is right now, that he... <laughs> This is my this is my favorite part of the issue, Stephen, because this is so like 1980s action. Which let's be honest, yep. the Mavericks character is 1980s action, 1990s oh, action yeah. hero character, right? <laughs> he he replies to Wolverine, "I don't need those abilities. I like who I am right now. I've got this." Flexes his arm. Then he goes, <laughs> "This points to his head and these," and he grabs his crotch. <laughs> That's just perfect. Yep. Maverick says this is all he needs. <laughs> Wolverine says to, that he can find him if Maverick changes his mind, and Maverick tells Wolverine the same. We then shift to later in New York at a coffee shop. We see Ramirez meeting. Uh-oh, Maverick Steven. Ramirez goes, Maverick's <laughs> recent trip to Krakoa makes her cautious. Ramirez asks where Maverick's loyalties lie. Maverick smiles and says, he's made up his mind. End of issue. Yep. All right, Steven, Wolverine number 10. Give me the good. Good is that it's very exciting. It's very action-packed. Um, it moves fast. Um, it's got some great um, character. There's not a lot of characters in it that mm-hmm. have a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, there's the two main ones, you know, Wolverine right. and Maverick. Right. But what they do have is very good. It's very interesting, um, the dynamic that they have with each other. Mm-hmm. I actually, even though he is very much the 80s personified, I like <laughs> Maverick's character. I think he yeah, has yeah, yeah. an interesting perspective. Yep. I like that he challenges Wolverine on his new his new lease, his new look on life. Yes, yes. Since being on Krakoa. Um, I think it is something that a lot of people reading X-Men think about Wolverine. It's like, Absolutely. I don't. I don't really, it's either you don't really believe this or there's something wrong with you. Correct. Agreed. And so I like that they've, they've really brought that out and had somebody just say it. Yes. Because it's, you know, it's good. It's good that it's Maverick because he is the type of character that would say something like that. Absolutely. To face. Yes. And I really, I love the idea of this, um, this auction house place. There's a big shot where they're in the, oh, it's the legacy house, I believe yeah. it was called, where they're in the. You know, we're in the, in the storefront, there's a big, like, it's almost like a big two-page splash shot just kind of showing, like, how much stuff they have. There's two huge yes. giant containers that just say Avengers on it and whatnot. And there's um, some stuff, like, in the corner, like, little stuff that's just laying out. Like, you see uh, Wolverine's, like, Weapon X yes. helmet yeah. that he had when he was in the tube. You see an Ultron head, yeah. the World War Hulk, like, the metal arm and mm-hmm. the helmet. I thought that was really cool. I'm a huge sucker for like little continuity nods like that. Oh, me too. Especially since in this in this version of the X Men, they've rebooted the continuity so many times. Apparently, right. I like that confirmation always that this yes, this is all stuff that still happened. You yeah, know, yeah, it's a little fun little nod. Yeah. And Adam Kubert, I really I really love his art. It has that you know right amount of like kind of chaotic energy going on with it. Yes. And it's. 
in some parts, like, you know, yeah, not everything is like super crisp and clean and well-defined. You can spot every little thing in the corner and say, Oh, what's that? But you know what? Right. It really works. Cause it's an action title and he knows how to do action really well. So absolutely agree. It's, I love it. Yeah, a- absolutely agree. I, I, I'm with you. Look, I'll start with the, the writing first. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Percy's a, he's a good writer, Stephen. I've, yeah. I've really become a fan of Benjamin Percy as of late. I think he is a good example of a new writer that Marvel's editorial staff has hit on successfully. They need to get more Benjamin Percy's out there from the realm of writers who truly understand the comic book medium. Percy does. He, he is very talented. He knows how to Mm -hmm. properly construct a comic book. He knows how to keep the reader engaged. He fully understands that I got an artist and I got to feed him something to do as well. And there's always got to be something going on visually stimulating the reader. Percy just continues to impress me. This is a good hire by Marvel. We always talk about we're worried about the next generation of Marvel writers. Percy's, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's really good. This issue is Technically, very well written. And again, I, I I purposely put the New Mutants first in between Maestro and Wolverine number 10 because I wanted to highlight the difference of an old hand in Peter David and a newer writer like Benjamin Percy to show what you should be looking for in a comic book writer. I think it's important, and these, these three comics really illustrate that. You don't have to just hire an old guy. There are new writers, too, that know how to that know how to write comic books. Percy mm-hmm. is, from a technical standpoint, a very good writer. This is well-plotted, Stephen. It is mm-hmm. It is coherent. It is yep. focused. It drives forward with a purpose. It has a wonderful flow to it. Every scene naturally unfolds into the next one. It grabs the reader's attention from the very start. It never lets go. It gets the reader immersed into this world. It gets the reader invested in Maverick and Wolverine and their mission. It takes everything, everything as the story unfolds, slides together in a very logical manner. This is excellent plotting, excellent pacing. It's a lively read. It's exciting. It, it has a few moments where he eases off the gas, but for the most part, he knows this is Wolverine, and I want to I want to step on the gas pedal more often than not, and I want to deliver action scenes more often than not as well. You don't have to go very long yeah. without getting action. He's going to give you action, and it's intelligent action that forwards the storyline and shows you the two characters of Wolverine and Maverick and how they how they relate to each other as well. On top of that, Stephen, the plot lines are all interesting. The plot line involving yeah. Maverick in the Mercs is interesting. The plot line involving Wolverine and Maverick having differing views, even though they're the same, mm-hmm. they're the same character, is interesting. The plot line involving Ramirez, Agent Ramirez, is interesting. Mm-hmm. The plot line involving yeah. Wolverine's arm is is it an, is it an anomaly? Is it a clone? Mm-hmm. Is it something that that Xenos is doing? This is these are all really interesting plot lines that all connect together in a smart fashion. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I agree. It, 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 because of that, Stephen, when you read this issue, at least to me, 
there are no wasted panels. There are no wasted panels. There is no filler nope. at all. You get you get your bang for your buck with this issue with this issue, Stephen. You really do. Absolutely. Uh, where I thought New Mutants had, there's a standard. You're, you're Marvel Comics. You are Marvel. You are the. Let's be honest. I love DC. You love DC. Marvel Comics is the number one combo company in the world. Period. Mm-hmm. It just is. It is. And there should be a standard for you to put Marvel Comics on the top of that cover and for you to have the balls mm-hmm. to charge me $4 for an issue. Yep. How they thought they could do that on New <laughs> yeah. Right. How, how they thought they could do that for New Mutants is beyond me, but I get you how you, you can for Wolverine number 10. You really mm-hmm. can. You get what you pay for. And the character works, yep. Stephen, like you said, is fantastic. Percy understands Wolverine's character so well. He understands mm-hmm. Maverick's character so well. And Percy is doing a great job addressing this seemingly sudden and bizarre shift in Wolverine's personality and his view toward Krakoa. He's doing it yep. really well. So kudos to him. This is good, good character work. Really good dialogue. Even Ramirez has her own unique voice. And good dialogue too. Yeah, that's right. This is good character work. Big thumbs up. I mean, what else can I say? The art is cool. I like the art. Kubert, Adam Kubert knows action. And you're right. There are moments yep. where you're like, oh, that's a little oh, that art's a little sketchy, a little iffy. But but he knows action well. He yeah, gets it. He, he knows how to deliver it. So thumbs up from me as well. I'm all in on Wolverine. I think Percy's created a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Stephen, as far as the bad, I don't have any complaints for Wolverine 10. Maybe you do? No. <laughs> okay. I really don't. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, on that note, give me a grade for this uh, Wolverine number 10. I get the writing an 8, and I will give the art. Um, I'll give the art an 8 as well. I think it's a super solid, very fun, perfect example of what Marvel needs to be be doing right now with their titles agreed very much okay i'm not too far off from you i'm gonna give the writing at eight mm-hmm. necros out of ten as well i'm a little sure. bit less of a fan of kubert's art than you mm-hmm. i like his action i'm gonna give him a six necros out of ten i'm not crazy about mm-hmm. him delivering so many tiny panels i'm mm-hmm. not crazy about tiny panels and he uses a lot of them in this issue so for me that's kind of a that's a pet yeah. peeve it's still a nice looking issue i may, I may be sure. a little bit too harsh in giving him a six anyhow <laughs> overall seven night girls out of ten and my point is i like wolverine number 10 it's 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 worth it's worth the price of admission for me yeah all right steven let's end this shall we with the big daddy title x-men number 18 right. that's right brought to us the words jonathan hickman art mm-hmm. mahmud azrar Colors, sunny, go. Uh, this issue, Stephen, our little recap page. And you're right, these X titles, the recap pages aren't quite as substantive as the ones we get with Hulk and Spider-Man and Black Cat, are they? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the recap page basically says, the Children of the Vault, a highly evolved and highly dangerous superpower group developed via exposure to temporal acceleration, have reappeared. Wolverine, uh, no, 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 people. Not Wolverine, because I know everyone's going, what, Logan's in this too? No, no, he's not. He's not. It's X-23. Why mm-hmm. they still call her Wolverine is an entirely different rant for a different podcast, but let the woman be her own <laughs> freaking character for crying out loud. X-23, Sink, and Darwin entered the vault to evaluate this threat, knowing only that time 
flows differently inside. Everything else remains to be discovered. Okay. We begin at the vault in South America. We see Darwin, X-23, and Sink arrive on the scene. Their objective is to ascertain the threat level and potential weaknesses of the vault and the full capabilities of the children. Darwin scans the city and says the vault is sparsely populated. The team descends into the vault. We cut to a one-page insert, Stephen, of a medical report by Dr. Cecilia Reyes about the post-resurrection analysis of Sink. Reyes notes that Sink had a 4% increase in the in power post-resurrection. Sink's power no longer has a dormant and active state that now it's constantly seeking out a live connection to the power sets around him. Reyes notes that this may be a potential reoccurring phenomenon among all resurrected mutants. The mutant husk body that has grown from the mutant's DNA is a tabula rasa of mutant powers and the body has been mutant active. However, the backup has been mutant active before often for years and years and years. So when the mutant mind activates their powers inside a never-before-powered husk, there's a breakthrough experience that enables mutants to surpass their original power levels and native parameters. Again, nobody does the insert Steven better than Jonathan Hickman, who can deliver practically mm -hmm. an issue's worth of information in one insert, <laughs> right? It's so, I yeah. love his inserts. They're so good. <laughs> Any, and nobody does pseudoscience better than Hickman. It's it's he's so well, good. Of course, at, he's so good at it, isn't he? <laughs> so yes, he is. We cut back to the dome, which is the center of the vault. In the heart of the dome is the city. We see the dome computer scanning a child and then welcoming her home and getting her report. The computer realizes the child failed in her mission. The computer notes the threat level of humans, metahumans, and mutants. The computer concludes that the vault opening should be delayed until child level three is attained for successful occupation slash subjugation of the world. The child says that they need to become more. We cut to four children arriving at the computer in the dome. They talk about mm. how they need to be exposed to temporal acceleration again in order to become even more. The computer then notes the invasion of the three mutants from Kokoa. The computer tells the four children to go protect the city. We zip to the four children attacking Darwin, Sink, and X-23. X-23 takes down one of the female children. Then the firecaster child burns Sink. X-23 then takes down the Firecaster. Evidently, no one wants to fight except X-23 in this on this team, Steven. Sink then recovers, <laughs> <laughs> recovers and displays the fact that he has copied the Firecaster's ability. And X-23 notes that Sink used to only be able to copy the powers of mutants. Well, Sink says, mm -hmm. it looks like that has changed. Sink then murders, that's right, murders two of the four children. So... I guess, is it official, Stephen? Are these mutants now heels? Are they now the bad guys? Um, I, I, I want to know how Hickman's <laughs> going to bring Sink back from being a double murderer. Anyhow, mm -hmm. maybe he should call Wally West up, Tom King's Wally West up for some tips. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the last standing child then starts to power up. Sink says that their mission was to learn and report back. To, es to escape with knowledge. Sink says they did their best on day one. They entered the vault, but nobody knows mm -hmm. uh, what it took to get out. The remaining child lets off a massive explosion. It's like a big A-bomb explosion. that just <gasps> rips through everything. We then get a one-page insert discussing the murder no man principle, Stephen, that the Council mm -hmm. of Krakoa says that only force, all in capital letters, protocols allow the suspension of the three laws of Krakoa Murder No Man is one of those three rules. The reconnaissance operation into the vault to ascertain the threat level of the children of the vault is expected to face 
possible lethal resistance. Therefore, the children fall outside of the normal definition of human and the risk of data recovery and, and uh, uh, the, the improbability of using current legal methods allow the force protocol to be initiated for this mission. That's the end of the issue, Stephen. X-Men 18, give me the good. The good is that um, Jonathan Hickman is still very good at creating <laughs> very, what? No, you're right. I just, I just, the news, this is news. Jonathan Hickman, still really talented. Oh. <laughs> also in the news, <laughs> the sun is hot and the sky is blue. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Poor Steven. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you are right on, uh, on that. I mean, I, I just thought this was really interesting. I like the idea of this, this children of the vaults. I feel like this is the evolution of that, of the AI as a threat to mutants. Um, yes. plot line that he's been building. Yeah. That this is the new form that they've taken, mm -hmm. that the Sentinel uh, project failed, and now it's becoming something else. I'm not yeah. quite sure what it is. I like the idea of, like, you know, the the secret mission going underground. I don't know how long they're going to be gone. Yep. Time's different down here. I like the characters that he, cho he chose to go mm -hmm. down there. I like, well, I like X-23 as a character when she's X-23. I like Laura <laughs> a lot. I think yes. she's got a lot of potential as a character. I yeah. think she's very interesting. Um, I like her because she's a contrast to Wolverine. Like she's, she's very much like the, the kind of still unhinged ish Wolverine yes. trying to learn how to be, you know, a regular person. <laughs> right. Right. And I really like that about her. Um, I like Darwin a lot. I think he has a really cool set of powers and I was not really familiar with this sync character, but mm -hmm. I kind of like his, um, I like his powers as well. Yep. Um, they're kind of like Darwin's in a way, but it's not, it's like he takes people's yeah. powers or, yeah. or, or um, mimics them in that way. I like yep. that a lot. And I like these, the, the children that they fought and then and proceeded to, to kill. <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't get any of their names. Nope. At least not that I'm aware of, but nope. I thought they all looked really cool. They yes. had, a, they seemed very unique. Yep. I like the fight scene that they had mm -hmm. against them. I, this is all just very interesting. I know a lot of people who love the X-Men are tired of this moral ambiguity about the X-Men that they, you know, they just, they just want to read the, you know, like Claremont uh, style X-Men. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, yeah. I get, I get, I get that. Yeah. Especially since the X-Men have, have, were dragged through the mud basically for a decade. Right. It was hard to find anything good about them, but yeah. I really like this stuff. I think it's very fascinating. I do it's, too. Um, it's a great way to to reinvent them. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not like they. I don't. I don't think that they're the. I don't think they're the bad guys per se. But I think the fact that you ask yourself that question is makes it more interesting. I totally you know, agree because they do some. Yeah, they do some stuff that's very shady and very like okay, mm -hmm. like I don't know what y'all think you're doing, but mm -hmm. I think I understand why they're doing it. You know, they they think this is the best way right. to protect themselves. And, and look, professor X just comes across like a cult leader all the time. He does. And, and he Kr does. And Krakoa. I mean, look how Wolverine was talking about Krakoa in Wolverine number 10. You sound like a cult mm -hmm. member. Yeah. I like that though. And that it, 
Yeah, I like it too. And the thing is, like, when they have those scenes with like Professor X, like on his own, like I, you know, they there he is different, but mm-hmm. I I feel like he does it because he thinks this is the best way to go about protecting mutants. Yes, and you know, cre- creepy or not, like I can't argue with that, mm-hmm. especially knowing what the future has been so many times for the, for the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So I really like it. Um, I think the, the sci-fi that Hickman keeps coming up with is, oh. is, is really cool. Yeah. He's uh, he, I mean, there's nobody, there's nobody in the game right now who's better at science fiction writing than Jonathan Hickman is. Totally agree. Totally agree. I don't think he does it in this. Cause sometimes in like his Avengers run, like you could tell, he wasn't really focused as much on the characters. He wanted to like talk about like the grand, you know, plot he had going on. Yes. But I think that, I think he does enough with these characters. Like they, they still feel like them. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's taking these characters on a journey. It's not Mm -hmm. the journey. Oh, and these characters are also in it. Right. Right. But to be honest, I've never really viewed Hickman as if you're looking for character driven stories, I'm not going to Jonathan Hickman. Yeah, he, he, sure. he's, he's the bigger, the, the big concept, the high concept stories. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to Hickman for. That's really what, that's that's what you're here to see. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. But I think he's done better with the characters on the X-Men. Now, of course, his his real baby is still the Fantastic oh, Four. Yeah, agreed, yes. He loves yes. the Fantastic Four. But Absolutely. I think he's done a better job with the X-Men character-wise than mm-hmm. maybe he did with the Avengers. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I dig it. Uh, part of the what I liked about the vault is I think it's designed really well and it yeah. looks very interesting. And you know, the children of the vault look really cool. Yep. I, I'm interested to see more in the future. That's for sure. He always, he always has that, like, you know, the promise of more and it's, uh, it's very exciting. I totally agree. I look X-Men number 18. I loved it. It, I, I'm a huge Hickman fan. So if you want to, Put that mm-hmm. out there as a bias. That's fine. I'll own it and accept it. That's cool. <laughs> I, it, I, I have no problem with that. We all have our particular biases when it comes to uh, creative work. I just, when reading this issue, Stephen, after, despite how we've enjoyed some of the other issues that we mm-hmm. reviewed in this podcast, when I got, to, I, I read X-Men 18 last. And as I'm mm-hmm. reading it, it's just, Hickman's writing is just better. It's yeah. it's richer, it's more mm-hmm. sumptuous, it's more lyrical. He is simply a better wordsmith than mm-hmm. everyone else, period. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there is an almost lyrical nature, an almost poetic nature to his writing because he is such a talented wordsmith. And you just yeah. don't get that on anybody outside of maybe Grant Morrison. I, I just, it's, it is such a sumptuous experience when you're reading a Hickman story. It is so easy to get lost in his stories and X-Men 18, like everything else. It is immersive. He leads mm-hmm. with world building and this issue is no different. I get lost in the story immediately. I'm fully immersed in the story. The vault is fascinating. The children of the vault, fascinating. This entire world that he's building is fascinating. The, the Children of the Vault as yet another, like you said, kind of taking the place of the Sentinel threat, taking the place of the AI threat. It is a natural evolution of that threat. It's Hickman doing what he does best, which is to continue to build out this X-Men universe, Steven, with so many rich 
layer after layer after layer. It's phenomenal how deep and detailed he gets. He just loves the minutia. He thrives on the minutia. This concept of the vault and the children of the vault is awesome. I want more of it. I want to know about it. I want to learn about it. I want to see more of it. They all look like cool characters. The four we got here were all neat. They weren't generic throwaway characters. They all looked visually great. Kudos to the artist. But it's a fascinating concept. Hickman just keeps giving us one fascinating concept after the next. And to what you said, Stephen, when it comes to science fiction, nobody's doing it better than Hickman right now. Nobody's doing Mm -hmm. it better. He's on an entirely different level at the moment. And what's great is you get... Hickman's able to give you just enough action to keep the issue mm-hmm. from being dull, right? A lot right. of it <laughs> is world building because that's what he finds fun, playing with high concepts and getting into the nitty gritty. But we also get action. He understands that I still got to entertain you. I can't talk you to death. Mm-hmm. I still got to give you some action too. He understands how yep. to give that balanced read. <laughs> and what blows me away the most, Stephen, this is what just gets me. Unlike you, I couldn't care less about Sink, Darwin, or X-23. Could not care less. I don't give a crap about any of those three characters. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not like, you know, like saying that Marvel should stop using these characters. I'm not like that. Yeah. I I don't view these characters like I view Carol Danvers. Okay. (laughs) I I, I just, I just don't care. It's it's the, it's the, it's the absence of feeling. I don't feel anything positive, nor do I feel anything negative. I just don't care. Mm -hmm. They might as well just be, you know, a beige wall in a room I walk by. But what's amazing <laughs> is, despite that I could not care less about these characters, I 100% thoroughly enjoyed the issue. Do you know how hard it is yep. to write an issue starring characters that you have zero feeling for, negative or positive, mm. and still gets you to like it? That, my friend, is talented writing. I think yes, it very is. talented writing. So I mm-hmm. really enjoyed it, despite... Being characters I don't have an interest in. That's phenomenal. I mean, kudos to Hickman. Yeah. That's, I never would have thought someone could give me an issue starring Darwin, Sink, and X-23 and me enjoy it. <laughs> That's great writing, though. So, yes, it is. big thumbs up from me. And the artwork, Stephen, I really like the art in this issue. This is a good-looking issue. Uh, Azar mm-hmm. gives nice, you know, it, it works with the sci-fi look, the way he draws the vault and everything. Looks yeah. nice. It's got plenty of detail and all the character designs, like you said, of the children, very cool looking character designs as well. So thumbs up there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any bad of X-Men 18? Honestly, no. I mean, at, at this point, after having kept up with it, uh, well, after, except for that little break that we took, right. um, I've accepted that X-Men, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be the, the Claremont team every issue doing their thing. It's going to be about different parts of this of this world that they've created. Yes, yes. And I think that's great yep. because, you know, not all these characters are on, like, a team yeah. or anything like that, so they're not going to show up in a title. That's right. And, like, the main the main characters, like Wolverine, Wolverine's got his own title. Right. Cyclops shows up in a bunch of X-Men titles. Jean right. Grey's in a bunch of X-Men titles, yep. you know. We we do see them. We don't see these other characters very often, right? So I like that he's that he's finding a place for them. There are a way to use them, and also to really focus on exploring his universe, that mm-hmm. his version of the X Men universe that he's creating. 
because he makes it very clear in this, like when the whatever that AI thing is like assessing like a threat, like mm-hmm. they like human threat and then post human threat. Yes. And then the mutant threat yes. is what is elevated. It's yeah. like, yes, but he's indicating, you know, the X-Men are on the, the Avengers aren't paying attention to this. Right. The Fantastic Four aren't paying attention to this. It's right. just the X-Men. Yes. And, and he maintains that separation from the rest of the Marvel universe, but in a, but in a way that makes sense now, yes. you know, Agreed. That's what I really liked from the beginning is I like that he's finally crystallized that separation of the X-Men from everyone else, but it makes sense. And he's really diving into their, their pocket of the universe in a way that is just, it's just brilliant. I think I totally agree. I mean, the only yeah. possible thing I can say in the bad is, you know, for some readers, again, I think the biggest criticism that people put on Hickman and it's fair criticism is he tends to write for trade, not for the floppy. Sure. And that's the case with X-Men 18. This is not exactly the most fast paced issue. It's he Hickman takes his time. True. True. He takes his time. And so I will put that out there. I'm okay with it, but I mean, I call other writers out for that. I got to do the same with with Hickman as well. But other than that, fantastic. How would you grade out X-Men? Number 18. I'll give the writing. You ever write about the decompression, so I can't really give it a nine. Right, right. I'll give it an eight. Mm-hmm. On the verge of a nine, I want to give it a nine, but you are right. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't give that to him. The art, um, the art I'll also give an eight. I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was very well done. It's just, you know, this is what the X-Men needed. You know, I know oh, the old God, fans yes. don't don't appreciate it as much. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. You know, everybody likes different stuff. Oh, yeah. This oh, is yeah. what they needed. I, I totally know. agree. I totally, look, I grew up, I grew up with the Claremont X-Men. That is mm-hmm. my default X-Men. It is. And right. growing up, my two favorite supergroups, Paul Levitz's Legion of Superheroes from DC, mm-hmm. Chris Claremont's X-Men. Those are my two yep. super favorite supergroups, period, bar none. So uh, believe me, when these fans talk about a uh, you know, don't like Hickman, his X-Men, they're over it and they're sick of it and they want the Claremont X-Men. Look, I get it. I understand. Yeah. That's my default X-Men too. But the fact is, I still maintain this is what the X-Men franchise needed so badly. Yep. It's what Hickman is doing. They need it. Mm-hmm. They need it more than ever. I'm glad that this is the direction Marvel is sticking with yeah. with the X-Men. And look, people, we all know what's going to happen when Hickman leaves, don't we? We all know. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. He's going to put all the toys back in the toy box when he leaves. All right? Mm-hmm. He did that with Fantastic Four. He did yeah. that with Avengers. Did that with the Avengers. Right? It's yeah. going to happen with the X-Men too. And then you'll get mm-hmm. your traditional Claremont X-Men. I am convinced. Right. If anything, Stephen, I know this is probably radical, and I know a lot of fans definitely would hate this to happen. <laughs> but me personally, what I would do, Stephen, mm-hmm. I would let Hickman have his full run, do everything he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And once he is finished and he exits the franchise, I would do a complete and hard reboot of the X-Men. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I still think the way it's going to end is it's going to build up to, like, the big final threat. Like, oh, my God, like, you know, characters are dying. They can't resurrect them fast enough. But it's all going to come down to, you know, somewhere in the midst of all this, mm-hmm. they find 
They find the solution, and Moira gives herself up to reboot the continuity one last time. And right. That's the one that's going to do it. That's going to save the mutants. Yep. And keep you know keep reality in check. Um, and it it, it, it it checks with how he's written other stuff in the past. Like he like he tends he can go very dark, but he tends yes. to end on a very like hopeful. Oh, absolutely. Message. So I, yeah. Yeah. So I. I think he'll do that. I can't wait. I can't wait I for that. I'm excited to see that. I'm stoked. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you make a you touch on something really important here too, Stephen. Hickman mm-hmm. has already built in the reboot button in yeah. Muir, yep. right? The lives of X that she's the many mm-hmm. lives of, of X. He's yep. he's built the reboot button into it. What is so good about this, unlike every other okay, look, speaking of some, no one has been burned. Sorry by the hard reboot like Legion of Superheroes fans. Sure. Nobody. Yeah. Okay? No Nobody. other franchise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no other franchise from Marvel or DC got the hard reboot like they did after the the horrid TMK Legion run that killed the franchise and caused them to totally reboot it. No franchise has been completely rebooted like that ever. So I, I'm yeah. aware of the trauma from that. But here's the difference, Steven. Mm-hmm. When they did the hard reboot of the Legion of Superheroes, they literally threw everything away. Threw all mm-hmm. that, threw all that oh, continuity yeah. away. Fifty years of con- just threw it away as if it never happened, and started over. Hickman mm-hmm. is smarter than that. He's constructed a way with Miora's many lives. Stephen, when she mm-hmm. dies, the universe gets rebooted, right? Yep. And they can start from scratch, but mm-hmm. everything in the past still happened. Yeah, it still happened. He. So rebooting it, he's found a way to reboot the X-Men franchise without invalidating and junking all the yep. prior all those other prior issues. They still happen, Steven. They still Dude, yep. that's genius. Only Jonathan Hickman could come <laughs> yeah. up with a way to completely reboot a franchise and still keep the prior continuity. That's genius. Yep. Mhm. I wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Yeah. All right. Um I would I would grade I would grade this issue, the writing, eight night girls out of ten. Again, I'm just digging it for the decompression. Mm-hmm. And the art, sure. I'll go a little bit less than you, seven night girls out of ten. Huh? Still very good for okay. seven and a half night girls out of ten overall. All right, Stephen. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh, out of this collection of six comics, Stephen, which ones would you actually recommend someone spend their money on buying? Which would you say, because I'm some, you know, we're okay with, but I may not say you got to run out and buy it. Which of these six would you say, yeah, pay the cover price and buy that issue? Wolverine, I think. Mm hmm. I love X-Men. I hesitate to say just run out and pick X-Men 18 because if you haven't been following the whole thing, Ooh, it's hard to get into. You're probably going to be very confused. Yes, yes. I want to say that one. Yes. And my show, I think you could you you would have a good time with mm-hmm. my show. You mm-hmm. wouldn't feel like you got ripped off. Yeah. Uh, New Mutants isn't worth a cent, so I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that one. <laughs> yes. Um, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, nah, it's, it's, not worth, it's not worth $5. No. That's for damn sure. No. Black Cat... Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Man, I, yeah, it's tough. I want to recommend it because I did like it, but I I can't. Yeah, I wish yeah. they had done. They had started it differently. I, I'm with you. I would go X Men number eighteen. Don't buy. Mm-hmm. Get it in trade format. I think that's in, catch, it, it, yeah. Catch up on the trades with the caveat. If you've been in from the beginning, buy X Men yeah, thirteen. Yeah, buy X Men eighteen. If you've been mm-hmm. in from the start. If you've not mm-hmm. been in from the start, stick with trade. It's going to read better in trade format. It just will. It just will. With yeah, go read House and Powers of X. It's brilliant. Probably one of the best things of Marvel put out in the last decade, I think. Yep. 
and came in with, right at the tail end, but you still. <laughs> yeah, agreed. With Wolverine number yeah. 10, I would definitely say buy that. Mm. For New Mutants number 16, oh, of course, not, not unless you can get it for free. Don't read it. Burn it. <laughs> Meister number two. I actually say, yeah, man. If if these uh, any of these characters yeah. interest you, it's it's worth the cover price. Maestro is Maestro number two. Black Hat number three. This is a tough one, Stephen. Yeah. I think this is going to be a good title. I think Jed McKay has something going on. I think Sevilla mm-hmm. is going to be a good artist for this title. I would say Black Cat, hop on when the King in Black tie-in story is done. Is over, yeah. Then hop onto this title. That's what I would do with right. that. And I'm with you on Amazing Spider-Man. Skip it. You don't need to read it. There's nothing that, nothing really happens in the issue. It's a pause issue. It's 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 a breather issue yeah. between one big story arc and another big story arc. You can pass on that. Yeah. All right, Stephen. Not bad. I guess, Stephen, next week, looking at my calendar, I think we might have some DC comics to review. March does start next week, my friend does are you excited i'm very nervous <laughs> okay all right fair enough well steven <laughs> fingers crossed that dc hits it out of the park right fingers crossed yeah yeah okay there you yeah. well wow on that on that yeah. optimistic note steven <laughs> on that optimistic note i i i think it is time for us to take our leave as mm-hmm. always Check us out at comicbookrevolution.com and we will see you all with the next episode. Viva la revolucion. <laughs>